0: You are now tuned in to Poppy Chulo Radio. You are now tuned in to Poppy Chulo Radio, your web portal for the best in pop culture news and interviews. Hi, Puppy. The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program.
1: And now my watch begins. Welcome to the Throne Room, the unofficial Game of Thrones podcast, a PoppychulaRadio.com and iTunes exclusive. Chula Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Wednesday, August second, twenty seventeen, and I am your host, Brittany Garcia, Lord Commander of this particular Night's Watch. During tonight's broadcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the latest episode of the hit HBO series, Game of Thrones. Please welcome my co host Aura Careño.
2: Hello, hello. Clay
1: B.
3: Hello, hello, hello.
1: And Priscilla Rocha. Hello,
4: hello, hello, hello. That's four.
3: I got That's it. That's
1: four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Let's jump into a recap of Season 7, Episode 3, titled The Queen's Justice, and aired July 30th, 2017. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Jon arrives at Dragonstone, where Daenerys demands he bends the knee, but he refuses, causing a rift between them. In Winterfell, Bran arrives and ex- tries his best to explain his powers to Sansa. In King's Landing, Euron returns with Ilaria and Tyene as a gift for Cersei, who then promises to marry him after the war is won. Soon after, Cersei enacts for revenge for Marcella's death. In Old Town, a healed Jorah leaves to find Daenerys and parts ways with Sam. Ray Worm and the Insulate attack Casterly Rock, but Lannister Forces attack High Garden. Alright, guys. I know that summary doesn't do it justice, but this episode I feel like I really don't have words, which is ironic because I feel like this podcast is gonna last like three hours.
3: Um, <laughs> buckle in, <laughs> settle in.
1: Get a yeah. drink of water,
3: get a comfy blanket. This episode's gonna it's gonna be a doozy.
1: Yes, we need to talk about this episode, and I know I could do the talking for you guys, but that's boring, so I need to know what was your reaction to the third episode of Season 7, and I'm going to start with Aura.
2: Um, wow, well, I thought this episode was a definitely an improvement from the previous ones. Like, We saw like all of our favorite characters... Um, just, like, in their, kind of, like, just as they are, so, like, what I mean is, we saw them be themselves, and, I don't know, like, Cersei, like, we saw her be so fantastically, like, villainous this episode, and it was was amazing, I, I really liked it.
1: I have to agree with you. I've been grading these uh, episodes so far pretty fairly, I guess. It's all the hype. But also, I'm one of those people that is not a really big fan of filler episodes or build-up episodes. I kind of just want to get into the action. And I feel like that's what we're getting this season, especially with seven episodes. Oh, yeah. I mean, we only have four to go. Like, that makes me sad to say that.
3: Oh, no.
0: I know. Yeah,
1: I still feel like we're getting quality scenes and the budget is beautiful it's really nice and I but I feel like from the three episodes that we've seen so far this one probably is the best and that's probably foreshadowing my grade but um do you guys agree with us do you, do you like it I mean clay how how was your reaction
3: I, and I'm not trying to be a contrarian here, I promise, Um, but I find it funny because, you know, I kind of fanboyed over the first two episodes, which we discussed on this podcast, we talked, and I think the consensus among you guys was they were good and they were high quality, but they were a little slow. This one was faster paced, and it was still a good Game of Thrones episode because in some capacity, they're all good. Uh, But the dialogue specifically in this one left me... A little bit wanting. Um, I feel like the best writing is writing that you don't notice. Writing that seems so organic that it just seems like these characters are talking. This is just the natural progression of events. And there were just a couple of moments, uh, just really small parts, that I'm sure we can get into this as we uh, dissect this episode scene by scene. But I just didn't get the 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 dialogue uh that i was looking for and i feel like <laughs> like the lone game of thrones fan who's just like talk more <laughs> like, give me some exposition or yada 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 because it, it grounds things for me but overall again uh in a nutshell it was a, it was a good episode but uh i i do have some complaints and i'm sure i'll well, i'll get a chance to air those
1: all right cool i like i like it when uh someone doesn't share uh my enthusiasm but i want to hear like why because i feel like uh, mm. From the fans' response that I've seen, they thought that this was the superior episode. Like Aura was saying for her, um, in terms of writing, going back to like season one writing, and I, uh, I had to agree with that. So I want, I want to know. I'm gonna probably pick on you later and ask you. All what's right. Going on. Yeah. So I'm it can,
3: ready. <laughs> it could be
1: uh, some nice discussion. But Priscilla, how would you feel about this episode? I felt like.
4: We, we had everything, with the card stacked, where Daenerys has everything in her favor. This episode fucking tore her a new asshole. Like, oh my god, I feel so bad for her. She, like, all of her fleet is stuck in one place. And the other bits of it are, like, broken up. And she loses, like, the purse. She loses, like, two kingdoms to help her. Like, everything. And you didn't get shit of this from, like, looking at the at the preview at the preview yet last week we were like oh okay like we we see her taking out hi um we see we see the unsullied attacking casterly rock but we didn't actually see anything else and this like this just came out of nowhere i loved this episode i completely agree like felt like going back to basics going back to season one where you you never really know what's going to happen and you can't foreshadow anything
1: yeah, I agree. I think uh, and I think it's really cool that we're in season seven and we're getting a feeling of season one. And I think that's pro- probably having to do more with uh, Danny's uh, misfortunes, which we're, we're totally going to get into. Because that's definitely a big part of the, uh, the reason why I liked this episode so much. Um, and we just got a lot of good stuff. I I mean, I just want to keep talking about it right now. And some
3: not-so-good stuff, which plays a huge part in my distinctive lack of enthusiasm this week. Yeah, see, we're we're going to find
1: out what's going on with you and what, what you didn't like and what you did like. But also, maybe to change your mind, I'm pretty good at that with Priscilla.
3: You guys are. Uh, I, <laughs> <clears throat> I forget what it was, but you guys like after talking something out last week, I ended up coming to you. I mean, yeah, bring. I, I, I respect a solid argument. This is gonna be a good episode.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun, and I mean that's why we we have this podcast. It's to talk about the different feelings that all the all the fans have because we all don't have to agree. There can be some things we feel strongly about that we won't you know agree on, and I love that type of stuff. So
3: yeah.
1: Without further ado, I mean, I mean, come on. Before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of Game of Thrones, here's our announcer with a few special announcements.
5: Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows. Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to iTunes or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts, visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent. At PoppyChulaRadio.com We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at PoppyChulaRadio.com We look forward to hearing from you.
0: This is a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. PoppyChuloRadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash Radio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming.
1: Thanks, announcer. So... Before we get into this breakdown of this episode, which we've already talked about how much we loved it in our initial reactions, um, Clay has a theory he'd like to share with us.
3: I do. So uh, if you listen to this podcast last week at the end of the episode, I said that there was a fan theory that I thought was particularly interesting, and I vowed and delivered (laughs) to do a little bit of research And digging into this fan theory uh, And why people have this train of thought So if you missed the last episode uh, What I went to go look for Was this theory on the internet that exists in Reddit Uh, Got a video in the Nerdist It's on Buzzfeed that Davos Seaworthy Davos Mother and Seaworthy For those on or the Onion Knight Is actually the one who was promised So who is the one who's promised What does all of this mean I want to break this down really quick uh, For us so that we can get some context on this So This actually starts, believe it or not, this prophecy, I want to take you guys back. We're going to go back a little bit to ancient Westeros history for a hot second. This is 8,000 years before uh, the show started. The events as we see them, these characters that we love, this is 8,000 years ancient history compared to what's happening now. So during this time, the continent of Westeros was engulfed in what we hear a lot of the older characters refer to uh, as the long winter. This is when Westeros was completely dark. It was incredibly cold. When you see like old Nan and all of these older characters who remember what that was like, all of them have this for a really foreboding sense when they talk about it. Even characters from the Wall, uh, who we saw that knew that time when they were explaining it, they f- they were cannibals. <laughs> There's no way to. Talk around that one. Uh, so it's a really brutal kind of uh, thing that happens when this long night comes. And I think we're on the precipice of so one. So anyways, um, back then, uh, the White Walkers walked the earth unattested. Um, they eventually overpowered until a really cryptically named hero, only name I could find in the research that I did about 30 minutes of, which isn't extensive, but the only name that I could find was the last hero. So this individual is simply known as the last hero. So... 8,000 years ago, when the White Walkers were infesting Westeros, they are completely taking over it. One guy, uh, with the help of the children, who we've seen interact with Bran, was able to uh, push the, the White Walker north. He was able to push them past what we know is the Wall. Um, however... When he died, this is where this whole prophecy comes in, and this is what Melisandre, the Red Woman, and all of those characters that we saw in the various places in Essos have been talking about. Uh, This prophecy said this guy, the last hero, is going to come back. We're going to see a reincarnation of the last hero. So when you hear people on the show, uh, Melisandre's been a huge one. Um, What is it? Beric Dondarrion, I think, is the other one. Uh, These characters are actively looking for the person, and this one person, whoever it is, if it even exists is really rooted in the history of Game of Thrones. Some people think it's Jon, other people believe it's Davos, uh, Seaworthy, and here is why. So in, across the sea, the last hero, all of the tales of what happened that I just described, uh, across the sea, they heard this. But much like culture happens in real life here there, uh, when the story traveled across the sea, the name changed, and the guy who was known as the last hero suddenly became known as Azor Ahai. and That's the name that you have heard throughout the series uh, with Melisandre and her talks with Stannis and etc. So this whole prophecy about the second coming of him. So I, I really took this big, complex prophecy and I wanted to break it down so it would be really easy and fairly quick before we jump into the episode. So I won't go uh, into it in super depth, but here is the prophecy. This is what is supposed to foretell the coming of the one who was promised. And this is from Melisandre. When the red star bleeds and the darkness gathers, a Ahai shall be born again amid smoke and salt to wake the dragons out of stone. A book it's written that a warrior will draw a burning sword from the fire, and that sword will be lightbringer. Okay, so this is why I'm gonna to explain to you guys why people think that that is Davos. Uh, first and foremost, <clears throat> the sword lightbringer, which was pulled from the stone, that he was pulled, or the sword was rather pulled by Stannis in the beginning of season two which really would align with Melisandre's idea that Stannis was the one who was promised. However, 60 seconds after Stannis leaves the sword, Davos comes out and picks up the sword. He has the sword uh, that's flaming, Lightbringer, the sword that is supposed to be this prophetic marker that, uh, you know, this person of change is is coming. So that's the first thing. They feel like that is how he interpreted that. Next, it says that he'll be born again among smoke and salt. Uh, If you think back to it, After Blackwater, which was a lot of smoke, the wildfire, and uh, salt, which was the sea, the ocean, people thought Davos was dead. And so when they say that the person uh, would be born again and they would wake dragon from stone, people are saying that Davos was born again. You know, when he sees, I forget the name of the guy, it's like one of the few African-American people who's been on there. He says, you know, oh, everybody thought you were dead. Stannis thought you were dead. So the final piece in this is probably one of uh, the biggest pieces to this point that a lot of people say is that uh, the person who is the one who was promised, Azor High, the one who was promised, yada, yada, whatever nomenclature you want to use, whoever it is, is going to wake a dragon out of stone. A lot of people attribute that to Jon Snow's resurrection. So Jon Snow is resurrected by Melisandre. Uh, she leaves the room thinking that she has failed. Davos comes in. I don't know if you guys remember this scene, but he has this really kind of intense uh, soliloquy to Jon Snow or to you know the audience or whoever. Um, and then he leaves. And moments after, Jon Snow comes back to life. And since we know about Jon Snow's lineage, and I'm sure we'll touch on this when he says he's right. He's a Targaryen, whether he knows it or not. And he would be uh, considered a dragon in this metaphor. So people think that uh, John is the dragon that was woken from the stone and that uh, Davos facilitated that. So it's an interesting theory. Um, I actually read the idea that John is the one who's promised. And I can say there are some really, really solid ideas there, but the Davos thing was fascinating. It's really, really interesting uh, to go back and see the history of this and how this all started in the a, a time during when the White Walkers owned the Earth. It was really fascinating to look into. So that is a theory. <clears throat> you can subscribe to it, or you can come up with your own. If you do, I'm definitely interested in hearing them. Let us know.
1: Alright. That was uh that was a lot of that theory and I had no idea where it was going but I'm glad we got to where we uh where we did I love Davos, so if he's gonna <laughs> I mean he's just kinda saved everybody. He's been um he's been around long, and I think if he ever did die or something really, really sad. Yeah. Um so I like I like this theory.
3: It's uh, interesting, yeah. It
1: is interesting and I love that people pick up on these things because sometimes you're you're not really looking at the at the big picture, or even at the smaller details. So,
3: right. Um,
1: thank you for that. All right, with that, guys, let's get into the episode. And I know we want to talk about the big things that happen, but I like to talk about the smaller things because we can just fly through them really quickly and then get into um, the meaty stuff. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about Old Town. I feel like this was. The first week where I was really paranoid about what gross thing we were going to transition to. But we didn't get any of that. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. But we do get um, Jorah. We find out about Jorah. You know, he's healed. It did work. The treatment, whatever they did, it worked. He's fine. Um, And he decides to leave and go... um, I don't know if he says he's going to look for Daenerys, but I guess we're going to have to assume that he knows that Daenerys is already here. So he's basically making his way downtown to uh, Dragonstone. So, I mean, I'm excited for that. I can't wait to see Jorah back there with Danny. And uh, it, it was strangely emotional to see Sam say goodbye to Jorah. I don't know why, and I feel like they will cross paths, and I hope that Jorah mentions uh, Sam's name when he's there and that John's still there maybe and they can talk about like oh best friend saved you oh my god you know and then Danny's gonna be like oh my god he saved my best friend like what's going on here it's just gonna be really cool <laughs> um, and does Sam get in trouble? I don't know he's kind of forced to do some kind of chores you know he's he has to like copy and paste uh, some old books you know but not in the cool way that we can with the internet it's really fast you know he has to actually write it down but uh, is that putting still human? a
3: step above the shit? Though I feel that's like
1: that's true. That is you true. know,
3: he's moving in the right direction. You know, he <laughs> wanted upward mobility. Sam, let's hope you have no more bedpans or any of that food that looked really—it was really hard to distinguish between those two things. So let's let's hope he stays on the upward mobility path here.
1: Yeah, and I think the cool thing is that we were all kind of expecting, especially you know the time and place that this show takes place in that Sam would probably get it in like big trouble. Like something would happen to him. And it's like, in a way they gave him a punishment, but they also recognize that he did something really risky, but he, 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 he secreted, And that was right. awesome. But also I'm thinking here that those books that he has to copy, what if it's those forbidden books that um, he's going to get some info from? I mean, that's like a little thing that's going on. That's what I thought of. While watching it, I'm like, wait a minute, if he's going to be copying this stuff, what else is he going to find out? Because this guy already knows now that he went into the forbidden you know, part of the library, took something and was reading it. So now what if he's just kind of giving him free access to the things he wants or some random stuff that um, I feel like Sam's going to be getting some revelations in there. So uh, yeah. what did you guys think of the old town scenes in Jorah and Sam and then Sam's punishment? Um you know I go
4: oh, I just he's such a good guy and I hate to say this but it feels like his story's gotten more interesting now that he's been able to interact with other characters as opposed to just always being with Gilly. Like <laughs> there's there's something to to him now. There's, there's there's metal to this. Like piece of person like I, there's something in him. That I hadn't seen before, and that handshake at the end, like, anyone else could have been, like, Jorah hasn't gotten someone to touch his hand in a long time. and he's Maybe even before dirty. the
3: greyscale. <laughs>
4: yeah, so to to have someone, like, really, like, kind of give him a hand, uh, someone that knew his dad who disapproved of him, like man, that's, that's gotta feel nice. Although afterwards, I'm like, dude, get you need to get some medieval Purell or something and just wash your hands after that, because I don't trust you to have gotten all that grayscale out. It's gonna, like, resurface somehow, and I just, I, d- I don't want it to hit you at some point. I was just mm. very, very, like, just. Uh, I, I appreciate you doing that, but you shouldn't have done that, <laughs> I think like, it who was, better it to was, get
3: Grayscale than Sam, though? Because he can just, like, self-mutilate and be like, oh, okay, moving on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Back to library. I,
1: I think we're just supposed to, like, kind of be emotional in that moment for Jorah that he's able to put his other hand on him and just be like, you you saved me. Like, I never thought that I that this moment was going to come. So it's just, uh, we just have to assume that it's more likely he would get a disease from scrubbing all this shit than he would from, you know, doing the procedure on Jorah.
3: Fair <laughs> point. That's a really good
1: point, <laughs> <laughs> so um I wanna, how did you like the old town stuff?
2: um, I liked it like it, it was a really cute moment to have them like both just shake hands like that. It was um <laughs> adorable, and um yeah, I also think I also agree with you i sa- I also thought when he gave him when the Ar- arch archmeister gave him the task to um write all those stuff. That I thought like is he Purposely giving Sam Some information Like I don't think this uh, This guy is uh, You know as Much as a um, Skeptic As they paint him to be Um, I think he like Kind of wants to help Sam out in, In a way and I feel like Maybe he purposely like Is giving him this task So that he finds out more about the White Walkers and how to beat them.
1: I would like that. That's actually I like I like that uh, theory because this guy has been in, uh, in our episodes like the past three, and he's been uh, he's been painted interesting colors. And I kind of <laughs> I I wonder um, if he has another type of like agenda for Sam. I kind of like this. What about you, Clay? How'd you like Old Town?
3: I enjoyed the scene. Uh, Can I be real with you guys? I like literally just realized the significance of that handshake listening to you guys talk about it. Like I did not register at all when I watched it. I was like, oh, okay, that's sweet. But I definitely have to go back and rewatch that. That's just my uh, inattention to detail. As a whole, I thought this scene was good. Um, You know, rewards are tricky. uh, Rewards with air quotes, at least, are tricky on this show. You know, whenever something goes a little bit too right or it seems a little bit too chummy or yada, 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 you kind of get worried that the other shoe is going to drop. But I do like the chemistry between these two actors. And my curiosity uh, is in where Sam goes post this. What does he do? Because I don't see him just kind of slipping back into the duties of, uh, you know, pre or whatever that is called. I don't see him just kind of going back to that and falling off of the story. And I think you guys are exactly right. Uh, I think that in essence, uh, Sam is kind of the new brand, you know, but he's not as like weird or Norman Batesy is Brent has become in recent years. So I loved it. I thought it was a, a really good scene. I want to see more of the shit Adele. Like I'm, I'm with it. I love the storyline. I love the vibes of it. I, I want more information.
1: Yes. And I think it's kind of like a, a breath of fresh air from like all the war and the politics and stuff. It's just, somebody who likes to read and is intelligent and we love Sam mm-hmm. and it's just him, you know, finding things out. Like this is kind of like what he, this is what he was born for. This is what he likes. And I love that they're making it useful to him. And I like that yeah. you brought up brand too, because um, I mean, we're, that's the next section we're going to talk about, but
3: segue yeah.
1: in comparison to brand because brand apparently has seen everything. Um, has seen everyone and everything. So what where is Sam? Like what what is what is left there for Sam to do if Bran's the one that's gonna be feeding all the information to I, I mean we have to assume John when he gets back.
3: So I think Bran's powers seem fairly uh, while they're developing there's still there's still a novelty there. I think he's still figuring it out. Um I would be interested to see. I think that there's a lot of potential there, as we saw with the season six finale, for Brand to blow our mind, rip the the veil off of some pretty big twists, plot twists, and you know, turns. So I think that we haven't really seen, to your point, Brittany, a lot of intellectuals interact in the show. I, I mean, we do. Um, to some extent, I don't want to call the characters fucking stupid, but intellectual in the traditional kind of academia sense, I'm very well read, a you know, into the arts, etc. We don't have a ton of those. Uh, and I think that that knowledge that uh, Sam is going to be able to tap into, I'm hoping it's different. I hope it adds a different element or is something separate from what Brand brings. And I'm hoping Brand finally does bring something instead of just, you know, blank facial expressions and cryptic nonsense.
1: Yeah, we're we're gonna yeah we're gonna talk about Bran actually right. now. I just was wondering what <laughs> what um what Sam was gonna bring to the table, assuming that everything in those books Bran already knows because he's seen it. But I don't know how they're gonna how they're gonna explain that. But that was just me coming up with like my own thing. Like I was like, okay, well. What are What is Sam going to do now? Well, what is Bran going to yeah. do now? Because I thought... Because, you know, if people were thinking that Bran was probably not going to come in until maybe the fifth episode. And then it was going to start to build up. But he's already here. So I'm really wondering what's going to what's gonna happen here. Um, unless they're going to need, like, two sources. You know, like, we got Bran, the primary source. And then we're going to have <laughs> uh, the secondary sources from Sam. Um, I mean, we'll see. I, I'm a little interested in that. That's just me. But, um... Let's talk about that. I love that we can
3: talk about secondary sources. People do that. <laughs> Don't believe one person. This is perfect yeah. right now. And, Double know, fucking check. Do your homework. Don't just believe shit because you read it. Or yeah, it sounds well, good.
1: Well, speaking of secondary and primary sources, we get uh, Sansa needing some of that. Like, after getting the reunion with Bran, because, guys, Bran's back. Um, I was like, yeah. oh, my God, it's Arya. Oh, my God, it's Bran. Oh, my God, who is it? Who is it? And we get... <laughs> we get another Stark reunion, but guys, is it me or was this one kind of weird and ta- like, I don't know. I was taken out of the experience when Sansa and Bran like catch up and talk to each other. Um, I want to get your opinion guys on what you think that conversation was meant to, um, you know, give the audience. because A lot of people were interpreting it in weird ways. And I just want to know if you guys agree on the same thing or just have different opinions about it. Um, also, we also get Sansa doing lady duties. She's doing everything. Lord of Winter, Lady of Winterfall stuff. She was getting, uh, making sure that everyone has food and that the armor has leather. Like, she was, mm. she made sense. Like, working it hashtag girl
3: boss and, yeah and
1: i and i love that because it's like john's like the military and all that stuff. but sansa's more of the the people and the politics and i i just i love this and this is why i like the both of them together working together and we got a little finger being a little you know bitch around there you know and <laughs> he's he a bitch so
3: let's much. embrace it he's a he bitch
1: is? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but i i love how he's he's with her but he's not saying anything and she's just doing her thing like I feel like she was kind of born to do this and I, I really enjoy that so guys um, how did you like Sansa doing that and then the brand stuff like just get into it just get into the and I'll start with you uh, Clay
3: oh okay Um, <clears throat> I found this scene problematic I talked at length about this specific scene with one of my friends immediately after having watched it Um, And kind of just debating the the base of it. I found it kind of frustrating. I don't know what's up with Bran, but his pattern of speech has changed he is getting very guru ish you know he's and one thing that I drew a comparison to was the the whoever was the three ride Raven was before that guy who was in the tree and was very stoic and motionless and you know had this presence and the way I don't know if it's the writing I don't know what it is but I just it was not I did not like it and I'll tell you exactly why so uh, you know Santa came into this conversation open-minded you know if anybody else you know I think I think it's because she's seen the stuff in the north, and she has opened up her mind to the possibilities that there are things out there, or things, excuse me, out there that she just doesn't know about and can't deal with. So I think she approaches this situation with Brand through that perspective, and she's coming to him fairly open-minded. Like, and when he says, "You know, what's the three-eyed raven?" She, he's like, "It's complicated." And she's like, "Brand, please explain this to me. Help me understand what this is. Help me figure this out." Um, and the example that he kind of randomly gets her was her sexual assault and one thing I found particularly disturbing about that is first you know if anybody tells you that they had seen one of the most intimate or horrific or memorable moments that were private you know in your life and they just kind of casually brought up the fact that they knew about it it would be creepy it's also extra creepy if the said thing is a rape or a sexual assault in this case it went on for a little bit and then the last and the third level Level of just the creep onion that was this scene, he's your brother. Um, and I know that Game of Thrones is kind of, you know, they blur the lines with incest and etc. But I really thought from the perspective of Sansa in this scene and I thought like, you know the fact that her brother even knows that that happened to her, it was her choice to decide you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm gonna go super, super deep into that, but um, I think that she I can see why she walked away from that scene and it i don't know what brand's intentions are maybe you know uh the person i was talking to before argued that maybe he wanted to show her a really dramatic example of the three-eyed ravenness but it was kind of convoluted and it didn't it didn't really make uh a ton of sense to me what his motivation in that scene was so uh it, it was very it the yeah i i could have done without him letting her know that he had seen that or insinuating that he had seen that because poor santa I, I mean this is becoming a running theme on this podcast hashtag poor santa because she she Finally, you know, she's up and she's in a position of power, but <sighs> it's frustrating.
1: That was a lot I of f- feels. I
3: feel... <laughs> Lots of feels.
1: I
4: feel, like, because I'm trying to think from, like, his point of view, which is weird, but, like, from what I'm getting at, it feels like he's slowly becoming not human anymore. And by the fact yes. that, like, he he's... He's detaching from humanity,
1: I think. Like yeah.
4: He's not
3: picking up on social cues. He's like, you can see him kind of withdrawing into his own psyche.
4: When you mentioned, like, a guru, like, that's exactly, like, he, he's a- achieving, like, a higher sense of self because he, mm-hmm. he focuses on all of these people. And he kind of, like, I feel like he kind of more sees them as, like... Notes like uh, from a play or something, as opposed to actual people. So him saying this to Sansa as weird and as fucked up as it is, like he he's really just is remarking how beautiful her dress is. Like that that's what mm-hmm. I got out of that episode. Like that Sansa's freaking out because of course she should be, but Bran doesn't understand her, and that's why it's like the perfect example of why he can't be Lord of exactly. Winterfell anymore because he just he's he's never going to understand people the same way anymore.
3: I think you're exactly right, Priscilla. And I think that the higher up you get, the smaller the ants look and brand is looking and not just the world, but the time space continuum as a whole, it's getting very TARDIS E up in here. And, I think, you know, you're right, and I think uh, there is a point to be made that uh, there, that, you know, having this un- kind of limited source of knowledge would, you would see the futility in a lot of, you know, human interactions and this and that, you know, being able to have that kind of perspective, so it's interesting.
1: Auda, how do you feel about uh, that Brandon and Sansa scene?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, like, listening to you guys, and I'm, I'm kind uh, like I understand where um, Clay is coming from, but I have to agree more with uh, Priscilla because um, you know you you do get that sense that he's really not like there per se. Like he's not being like oh like I want to um, oh like I'm finally with my sister after all these years and stuff. And I, I think it was that was really like made. That was something that they purposely made because um, they, like, see each other for the first time after all these, after all these years. He's like, hello, Sansa. And she, like, goes and hugs him. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to cry. Beautiful. And then, like, they um, they don't let the moment drag. They immediately cut to them talking, right? And here you can see him, like, just, his face is so emotionless and you can see how um, he's not, it's not like he doesn't like, he doesn't love his sister anymore. Or, like he wants something, you know, sexual with, <laughs> to do with his sister or anything like that. He's just like above all of that. He sees this thing that happened to her as just, you know, another event that happened. And that he knows of. He doesn't see it as something... You know, he doesn't see it as, like, she does. That it's something that affected her deeply. And, like, right. this... Yeah, this took me a while to, like, get into, too. Because he's like, oh, you looked beautiful the night that you were raped. And I'm like, what the heck are you saying? And then, yeah. like, as I thought about it, I was like, oh, okay. Like, this actually makes sense. Because he... He... Well, there are, like... Implicated and that he knows everything, right? So it's like, it just makes sense to me. I think it they think that scene made a lot of sense.
3: Yeah, I don't uh, think per se that, you know, he had any kind of like perversion or there was anything like weird sexual going on, Um because I, I like to think that because he's a three-eyed raven, you know, he saw that along with everything else. Um, the only part that I was just, like, a little bit uncomfortable with is that this was, you know, Santa's been through all of this stuff, and it's kind of in a position now to where she's finally being recognized for her intelligence and for her capacity to lead, which in Westeros is, like, remarkable for a woman. Um, and we talked about this before, and yes, we have lost some of those badass bitches <laughs> who were around the table and the season premiere, but, um, you know, we still have some of them. yeah.
4: Low key, also like just as a side note, he he talks in front of like the the tree with with the face, and for like two or three seconds, I was like, is the tree with the face gonna start talking like oh from Legends of the Hidden Temple?
3: <laughs> yeah,
4: like olmec like the temple yeah, god. Like man. I totally thought that that was gonna happen. That it was just gonna open his eyes and start like. Brand, be nice to wow. your sister. Oh my God. <laughs> no,
1: that's scary. It should be grandmother Willow from Pocahontas. <laughs> oh my gosh, Yes, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking too.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so I think I agree with all of you. I think in that moment when I, because I, you know, I watch it with uh, with people as well, and uh, it's kind of fun to talk like during the scenes, and I kind of like how sometimes when you're watching something with people, you all feel the same thing. Uh, and I felt really awkward watching uh, that scene because I'm like, out of everything that he could have, he could have told her about, because she's asking you, explain to me. And maybe it is complicated to explain what he You're is right, and You're why right. he You're can
2: do that. The
1: point. Yeah, so he's, so what he does instead is he tells her about a memory that only she knows that only she can remember and i was like i was trying to think of all the different things that maybe he could have said but he chooses the most traumatic one to kind of tell her that he means business and he's not lying and even though it sounds weird this is this is who he is now and he has these powers and it's weird and i don't think he said it to hurt her i don't think he um was perverted like you know Right. if anybody was thinking that or whatever um i just think that he's so detached from uh from humanity that he just he, he he's just saying what he knows in like a robotic way like he's just saying what he knows and it doesn't matter that it affected sansa that way but he does say in there you know i'm sorry this happened to you in our home so it's not like he doesn't know it's just it's not registering you know it's not computing in his mind and uh one thing that I will that some people were talking about online, and maybe we forgot because I know I I think Brand's story, while it's been interesting, and I love watching it, I do forget some of his uh, his his moments, especially like around season five. I kind of just it just kind of went over my head. Like I don't remember a lot of his scenes, and I some people on Reddit, you know, they were the ones that, did, you know. So credit to Reddit for saying this, but they mentioned two scenes that happened. Um, involving the Three-Eyed Raven. And he says, uh, when they kill the Three-Eyed Raven in that episode with Hodor, uh, the Three-Eyed Raven tells um, Bran, it's time for you to become me. And Bran says, am I ready? And the Three-Eyed Raven says, no.
5: Hmm. And then he dies.
1: So then we get another scene also after that, where they're by that that tree. And it's after, I think, they meet Benjen, or maybe right, right before But Mira asks him, are you ready for this? And Bran says, I'm the three-eyed raven now. I have to be ready. So, in essence, he's learning everything he's supposed to learn in, like, years. So, it's like his mind Mm -hmm. is just overloaded with a bunch of stuff. And that's what he's telling Sansa, you know. It's like, I've seen everything. Pieces. Everything. So, it's like a 15-year-old, 14-year-old, maybe 13-year-old boy with a bunch of history in his head. It just kind of really messed him up. Um, right. so mm-hmm. I feel like Bran is just, just, he's not the same Bran, but I feel like maybe with being in Winterfell and maybe Arya coming that will slowly start to get him back. It's just right now he's overloaded. But either way, I still feel uncomfortable with the, with the trigger for Sansa. And I'm also wondering if that also has to do with the fact that Li- he knows that he must know then about Littlefinger. And I'm yes. if said that remind her like look he's still here he did this to you you need to watch out i don't think that that should have been like the ultimate thing for him to say to her but it's <laughs> yeah
3: it's, <laughs> it's like, like write a note like, bran okay <laughs>
1: like, yeah she blames little finger for i mean he you saved me from one monster and you gave me to another so in essence yes and i'm wondering if that's kind of foreshadowing something uh, with Littlefinger and Sansa, because that that just freaked her out. It doesn't matter that Ramsay's dead; that's going to haunt her, you know, uh, for for a long time. And if someone brings it up, well, it's going to bring back all those those feelings and the paranoia and the the PDSC. I mean, so
3: mm.
1: you know, it's just yeah, it's an interesting uh, scene. But uh, I'm really glad they brought those scenes up because I totally forgot that you know Bran is only about, like, 13 or 14 uh, with a lot of history in his head. So, maybe that's why we need Sam because maybe Bran can't really say everything um,
2: Ooh, that we need know.
1: Yeah. He just needs to tell John what he needs to tell him about heritage and his mom and the dad and stuff. Um, and maybe Does
3: anybody the- know how the Three-Eyed Raven, the one before Bran, became petrified in that tree? Did they explain that and I missed it? Uh,
4: uh, it's in uh, the book. It's that so- he, like, he he's seen so much of it like that he doesn't move and slowly like the tree has like become a part of him and grown above it. Wow. Like that's why.
3: I wonder if that foreshadows what we're seeing. With Bran and the thing that the four he, of us are talking about now.
1: When he meets Bran at the first time too, which is something that stuck with me, he does tell Bran, you know, No, you will never walk again, but you will fly. So keep that in mind for the Dude, rest- I am waiting for a
4: damn dragon warrior. You think he's gonna cut the dragon? Yes, I am, like, waiting for that at some point. (laughs) Girl, that sounds awesome. Ooh, I
3: like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, do you guys have anything else to finish with the Winterfell stuff? Because, I mean, yay Sansa for, like, taking charge and doing her thing. And then hashtag poor Sansa right after. Um, And I really (laughs) feel bad for her because I feel like, you know, Bran here is, like, a mystery tree guy. Um, John came back from the dead. Arya is an assassin. I feel like Santa is the most normal. And I think she's just kind of done with everyone's shit. (laughs) I
4: I appreciate what Littlefinger told her, which is just kind of like make sure that like you're watching everything because everything's happening at the same time. So you like not like maybe John isn't thinking about the enemy to
1: the to the south. But now she will be. Hey, maybe and she's now yeah. the one in target Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I also like that he's like you know play out every scenario in your head, and you'll never be side. That was my favorite because that was
3: meta. I was like, whoa. That
1: was nice. I like that, and I was like, man, <laughs> I that that is so smart. You have you do have to think about these things, and uh I do play a video game where I have to do stuff like that. I have to so many things can happen in a thirty minute game that I need to know how to adjust. And I was like, damn. Oh, what game are you
3: playing?
1: Oh, I play League of Legends. So, it's...
3: Uh, oh,
2: okay. Oh, so, yeah, I sometimes. Uh, yeah, see? So, there you
3: go. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right, let, let's meet up after the <laughs> show, guys. Let's, I know. Let's go we're gonna,
2: Yeah. Um,
3: <laughs> you can teach Priscilla if she doesn't play it already. <laughs> I've never played it. You can teach and, this both.
1: And, you know, it relates into the, into the show too because... Um, I mean I'm gonna start I'm gonna get into it as the very next thing I'm gonna get into, which is Dragonstone. Um, I think one of the things that really hyped us up going into season six was definitely the fact that Danny was on those ships with her with her army and her dragons and holy shit she's coming. And they even mm-hmm. talked about it last episode where, um, you could take King's Landing. You could just go in there with all the armies with your dragons and take it. But she says no. But she doesn't want to be Queen of the Ashes. And then we get that really that brilliant uh strategy from from Tyrion, although it maybe it just sounds that it sounds like it's brilliant, but now it's not. So I mean what basically Danny's whole strategy is like down the drain. So
3: Back I to the love that board.
1: Yeah, I I love it for this uh for this season I thought that we were just gonna go back and forth, that we were just gonna get a win for Danny because she had all these allies and then a win for Cersei because Euron was like um coming in, you know, like all Viking and stuff. So there's a win there. He has Alaria and Tyene. And then I was like, Oh, well then we're gonna get Casterly Rock but then we really didn't. It's like Danny's lost like all three battles that she's had or two battles and I did not see that coming into season seven. I thought we were just gonna get a couple of setbacks and that Danny was just gonna win this quickly and Cersei would we would get rid of her. But that's not the case. And I really, really enjoy that. Guys, how did you like or how did you not like uh the storyline with Danny's armies? I'm not really talking about Dragonstone in particular yet because we're we're not there yet, but how did you feel about that in particular that we got the you, talking about we're talking about Casterly Rock, then, just by yeah, itself. Yeah, pretty much. Kat, we're talking about Casterly Rock.
4: Yeah, I was so excited by that. That was like the best twist of fate ever. Like I the, loved it too. The yeah. fact that like it it it's, it sets you up to think, oh my god, they're gonna go through this really hard battle, but wait, no, it's not a really hard battle at all because Grey Worm's coming in. So, haha, they're gonna win. What did you win? <laughs> Nothing. Uh-huh. You didn't win.
3: Not a goddamn trapped. thing. An Empty castle that nobody gives a shit about.
4: And boats that you came in are now sunk. And you don't, you can't mm. get out of there either. So. <laughs>
1: oh, they're trapped. They're trapped in there. And they it's... either have to stay there or they walk back to Dragonstone. where yeah. Or they're going to be vulnerable for a battle.
3: hmm so, True, 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 true.
1: I mean, maybe we don't have to really talk about it. But I just thought that that was just a great move on the writers to to give so many disadvantages and I feel like this is going to feed into which we're just going to talk about it right now um why she's going to need John's help um as far as uh coming up with some kind of alliance because I mean let's get into it John arrives at Dragonstone and we get a really great scene with him and Tyrion it kind of reminds me of Robert and ned when they see each other for the first time in years in the pilot um it's just like mm. old friends coming back together and um they're talking they're walking we get davos hitting on Masande a little bit and she kind of doesn't <laughs> shut him down but she's thinking like you know i have a boyfriend um <laughs> and and they're walking and we get the the great line yes but i'm not to stalk and then we get the we get drogon right that was drogon that just comes in here yeah yeah, media dragon. Yeah,
4: I mean, like on. hello,
3: <laughs> excuse me, <Not> dragon.
1: <laughs> wait, was this
4: before or after? He's like, did 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 you know I didn't sleep with your sister?
1: Because I didn't. Sleep, man,
3: I yeah, didn't like, like,
4: it w- it <laughs>
1: before
4: that.
3: I just yeah. love that. <laughs> uh, and,
1: and I love that they so brought good. that up too because they do have a lot of history and connections with each other. Um, and I do love that Tyrion just brings that up with John's like, I didn't ask, and he's like, well, now you know, okay. <laughs> so, it's just, it's great. And then Tyrion's like, you know, you think you get used to them, but you never do. And I just, it, it's John seeing dragons. I mean, it's just so great. And I'm going to bring up the dragon point a little bit later. But we get the great scene of Danny sitting at her throne. And I was like, this is so beautiful. I love that shot. It needs to be my background, like, forever. Um, and we get the really long introduction of... Uh, Daenerys and then we get Jon Snow's he's king of the north I mean guys (laughs) Davos
4: is a Davos is a G though come on like to come up out of nowhere like oh sorry I'm supposed to like introduce you (laughs) (laughs) King of the north (laughs) The bastard Jon Snow he who knows nothing Yeah, I know, right? I was waiting
1: for something that epic, like he slept with a wildling and Lord Commander or former Lord Commander of Night's Watch or something, you know? You
4: get it later. You get it with him when he, like, argues in his favor. He's like, he's done this, he's done this, he's almost died for you. And I was like, whoops, that is not something you were supposed to leak out. That is not supposed to be in general Mm -hmm. public.
1: Mm -hmm. But he said it. And I just love that. It basically what is is john arrives doesn't want to bend the knee then there's bantering between the or maybe not bantering but there's like some sort of like putting their foot down in front of each other john's not really trying to to tell her what he done as i was talking about him but danny's trying to make her point that you know i have the name i am who i am and i didn't have any faith in the in the gods or the new gods or whatever it was just faith in myself we get that you know, great scene. And she's going down the stairs. She's staring at John. And it's just like the chemistry is there. I just, I love them. And then John just, you know, he ends it with saying, you know, well, you're going to rule over the dead then. Or over the ashes because there's not going to be anybody to rule if we don't fight the Knights King. If you do not help me with that. Um, unfortunately, their talk is interrupted and. Tyrion has to smooth things over with John. John's brooding on a cliff, all sexy, you know. And they're talking, and, and luckily he's able to persuade Danny to give, um, or let them mine the dragon, the, the dragon glass. And we get a really nice scene of Danny and John, where she's telling him, you know, yeah, you can do it, but she doesn't tell him she believes him. She just says you can do it, and he thanks her, and it just kind of ends like that. So. Overall, guys, how did you like the meeting? How did you like, you know, Tyrion and John, Danny and Tyrion? Um, There is one more thing that happens, but I guess we'll talk about that after because it's very minor, but it's a little interesting. But how did you overall feel? Did it meet your expectations? Do you want more? Do you ship them? I do. Yeah.
3: I don't. I don't don't either. I think we're split 50-50 on this, you guys.
1: Oh my gosh. Did you not feel the chemistry? I'm going to I'm I'm going to you know, the so
3: uh, aunt and Oh niece, my
1: god.
4: her oh.
3: nephew like kinmanship. Yeah, I felt that. <laughs> you did not need to.
4: Bring I, that. I, I I saw I saw the family resemblance in how stubble <laughs> <they both> were. <laughs> like yeah, I, that was epic like i loved the fact that he he didn't bend the knee like i i was so thinking that he's like are you gonna give us troops okay i'll bend the knee to you like no he didn't do that at all he he stood around and seeing more of john brooding is always a nice thing he's very like nice to look at like and when he's like like what was that line again where he's like uh, like i i don't like doing what i do well like or that bit where he just yeah. kind of like looks off into the distance,
1: and she just stares at him lovingly.
4: Yes, not <laughs> <Yeah>. lovingly, but <laughs> <laughs>
3: stares at <laughs> <in> him <laughs> familiarly. Yes.
1: Oh my god, wondering—it's because it's you party. have two. <laughs> They're just so pretty guys, I mean that's also like partly like fifty percent of why I ship them, but yeah, yeah you know how much that she, that she's gonna
4: that 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 they're gonna get it on, but but when she comes back into that, like they're gonna say, "Oh, you're related to her, and he's gonna be like, nope, i can't ha- I can't have this anymore, I can't be with this anymore. That is what uh, like this is Game of Thrones, she no. can't have
1: children <laughs> she can't have children either, by the way, like I mean that's one thing I think people forget, uh so. <laughs> I mean,
2: well, are you sure though? Well, yeah, you sure?
1: didn't they say that she can't have kids anymore?
4: No, she said she didn't uh, want no. to have kids anymore. Oh, yeah, like well, I think she said I think I'll never have.
2: Well, I feel like she thinks that she can't have kids because of what happened before, but like uh-huh. I don't know, guys.
4: Maybe she can. And just because you can't have kids, does not, like does not mean that you should be going at it with your relationship like ah, whatever it's a it's
1: a it's a <laughs> whatever the show a, is warping you it's oh, normalizing
3: it's, incest
1: <laughs> I oh my god I'm not putting it in real life I'm putting it in a show where these two never they didn't grow up together they they just have a blood and it's at least they're not brother and sister I mean let, let's be honest there and it's true so I mean I'm I'm cool with it if they do then I just I really like uh, what we get with their chemistry as far as, you know, platonic, um, chemistry that they have just talking, and Daenerys really, I don't want to say she was a little bitchy, but she was just like, you know, you better bend the knee, and I was like, damn, but I'm like you, Priscilla, I'm glad he said no, because he's like, to be, like, to be honest, I don't, I don't trust you, I don't know you, how am I supposed to, to, to bend the knee when I, you know, I can't do that. These people chose me and I have to do right by them. And I think the first step that she did was she she lets him my glass and that's I think the best thing ever. And like we were talking about um she no longer has her allies. She needs Jon Snow now to fight Cersei. So how you much You know, I gonna- give you giant glass, you mean your army. So I- <laughs> I'm wondering
4: whether it's going to be like a sort of thing where it's like if we work together and if we take down Cersei, I'll bend makes- the knee to you. Like, like, if we take down Cersei and, like, we win the Knights' King's War, I'll bend the knee to you. Like, I wonder if it's going to end up to be, like, something like that.
3: That I could live with. One thing I really liked about this scene... Um, was the reflective moment when Danny kind of goes over the, you know, bloody path that she has had to survive to get to where she is. And she touches on, um, you know, things from the beginning of the series on up and that was just... Really awesome to see. Um, I really liked that moment when she stood up and let him know, you know, so many men have tried to kill me. I don't even remember all of their names. And I was just like, I was just really, really feeling that. Especially considering, you know, she was right. She did start off as a slave. She did start off being traded like property. All of those things she said were dead on. And it felt good to to hear that. But one thing I really liked in that scene specifically was da- uh, Daenerys' Uh, admission that her father was insane. Evil. Um, that he
1: was evil. I love Yes.
3: That. And it was really satisfying because her entire claim has been, you know, her birthright, her father, you know, the man, king, yada, yada. yada. Um, and We don't see a lot of her talking about, you know, him and et cetera, but it was really powerful. And I think a lot of people who subscribe to that idea that, you know, Daenerys is becoming her dad may look at that and see okay, well, you know, maybe she is practicing some restraint. But she is exhibiting a degree of self-awareness by saying, you know, I know that my dad was a psychopath. I realize that, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, But... She was really on her game. Danny was on her A game. She was, you know, completely regal. Jon Snow, on the other hand was kind of flopping for me in terms of, like, the analogies he was using. He was like, we're all children playing with toys and screaming for, you know, that the rules are unfair and this, this, and that. And, you know, her response to that is, you know, he's calling me a child. uh, uh, Tyrion, why did you bring this guy here who is this asshole? And we've all been there. where like, (laughs) one of your friends brings kind of like a (laughs) douchebag, and it's like, ugh. I don't (laughs) want to be friends with this person through proxy through you. But, um, you know... She says that, and she's like, you know, this guy, he's being disrespectful, this, this, and that. And I love that just, like, I imagine him just saying this in all caps. He's just like, everyone you know will die. It reminded me almost (laughs) of Mean Girls. Like, do not have sex. Do not get (laughs) pregnant. It was uh, it was definitely. I was just like, "Wow!" Like you need to work on your sales pitch. You go from calling her a child and say that she's screaming about oh, the rules aren't fair, and then she complains about that. And your next response, literally the first that pops into your brain, is everybody you know will die. It's literally the nuclear option. Yeah, like he- who responds to that? You know. <laughs>
1: he- I would have thought Davos would have had something like ready to pitch because that just sounded. I mean, he we was able to did. get to Liana and like through some of the lords. So I was like, Davos, say something. <laughs> and he finally does at the end. Um, but I'm just kind of sad that Jon couldn't do it. I want to see Jon kind of talk, even if he is a man, a few words like Ned. I I wanted him to to kind of go face with Daenerys. He
4: sounds like a raving lunatic. He sounds like somebody who like <laughs> believes in like Santa Claus is real and he is not coming for your child because he's been naughty so you If you don't set, set
1: those cookies in milk he's
3: <laughs> exactly. They're making the fraud. Oh <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> totally
1: true. Like he's
2: You need to work on your sales pitch, man. Like
3: like for real for him.
2: You know what? I I thought that uh, he was actually like, okay, we know that John's not very—he's not a man of words. Like that's yes, what sir. Davos and Tyrion are for, right? Right, diplomacy. Uh, but I think he actually held up really well. Like up until when she was, <laughs> when she was like, "Well, you know what? This is treason." Up to then, he was like, they were, you know, going at each other, and they were—they felt like they were leveled. And I love that John wasn't intimidated by Daenerys like until she got they, we, closer I'm just kidding yeah, I, well I love that I love that the way that they just slowly put them in frame together and like she at first they're just like so far apart she's like sitting and he's standing like <laughs> so far away from her <laughs> like just get close no um and then like she just slowly sorry slowly comes into frame with him and then we have them you know, just right in front of each other and it's beautiful. I love the way they, they did this in. Amazing. But like yeah, I I think that actually John he held out pretty well to um Daenerys even though he's a man of few words. Like I just love that. Yeah. And, and I, I also think that um this whole conversation uh highlighted all the stuff that they've both been through. Like I love when Davos is like, "Um, like, how do you think this he Like, he got in there. It's not because of blood. He's a bastard." I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: Davos, like, the true. world's greatest hype man. Man, is, like, yeah, getting the crowd ready. He's
4: like, "Do you see this, Jesus? He died for
1: you." Like he was
4: about <laughs> to say that. I was like,
1: yes. I feel like that that meme of uh, of Will Smith where he's like showing off the person next to him. I feel like that's Davos with uh, Jon <laughs> Snow just kind of like look at him like look at yes. this guy.
5: <laughs> That's amazing.
1: <laughs> um I just think that entire scene in the throne uh room was just so captivating. I I I usually eat something when I'm watching this show and some and I'll just keep eating, you know, cuz just cuz Sometimes you're just going to be eating while watching, you know, just because you're, like, yeah. excited or anxiety. And there are scenes where you can't even eat anything because you're just so entranced with what you're watching. And that was one of those scenes for me. And I feel like there was there was excitement. There was laughter. I feel like there's a lot of funny moments, especially with Davos in the introduction um, and his word choice. And Danny just being so fierce and so strong that, yes, Tyrion talks for her but she also is able to to speak for herself and it tells to her journey uh remember how she was in the pilot with her brother and she couldn't even speak he, he, she couldn't yes. even speak and uh you know she was afraid of her brother to to who she is now where she doesn't take shit from anyone and i love that um but i also love that john's just kind of he's he's getting used to her i mean they don't know each other they don't know what we know you know about each other so I feel I just kind of love this and this was a reunion in the making guys I mean if we want to get like with the books, it's about like a 20 year wait I mean the book yeah. came out like about 20-21 years ago. Yeah, so, 96. Yeah, so I mm-hmm. mean this is like Amazing a memorable scene that uh, going to remember. <laughs> yeah Historic mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, scene so and you know what I just love that we get this one but not only this one we get another one um, and it's of course after we get Tyrion and John talking and um, I just love that they they have those like Tyrion when he's like you know luckily we're not our father then um, what can I do to help you like on a realistic level because it's true um, he comes here with an idea about zombies But I'm also kind of like, girl, you got dragons and nobody believed that dragons were going to come back. Some people don't even believe that they were real, but you can't. But you draw the line at zombies. Like, seriously, like me in my head.
3: You
1: know, I thought of that, too. (laughs) Also, also Tyrion seeing the the stone men with grayscale. I mean, yes, that's a sickness, but that still looks kind of like zombies. Like, I mean. It's something. So I'm kind of like, why aren't they as open-minded? But I love that John tells Tyrion, you know, do you think I'm a madman? Do you think I'm crazy? Like, and then Tyrion also tells Danny, you know, he came all the way here in person to talk to you. That says a lot about who he is and what he's talking about. It can't be a bunch of bullshit. So Danny puts a little, I mean, not Danny puts a little faith in him, but she's like, you know what? Take the Dragon Glass and, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. And I'm hoping that... We still get some more scenes next episode. I hope he doesn't leave right away. I don't think he will. Um no. but I, I just I love all of this guys. Like this was <laughs> this is what dreams are made of, you know, in the Whoa. words of uh Hilary Duff, or not Hillary Duff, Lizzie Maguire. <laughs> Holy
0: shit. I,
3: we the, just...
2: Just of that... <laughs>
3: oh man. Oh
2: my goodness.
3: <laughs> and if I, I had the rights like... to it, I would totally play that song right now. <laughs>
2: Um, I don't think he's gonna leave anytime soon either. Because they still have to mine it, right? they still that. have to
1: bang. I was like, Yeah, yeah, I
2: agree. <laughs> oh my
3: gosh. My God. <laughs> well, I
1: mean that too. <laughs>
2: oh
3: yeah. I can't even with you two on this ship. They are aunt and nephew, <laughs> anyway. you guys. Yeah. Like, I will Whatever. always bring that up.
1: <laughs> just, not in this show it doesn't bother me. In real life I, I have nothing to say to you. But in this show mm-hmm. where I don't know, these two these two just they're magnetic like Where they're, these they're two characters. are what dreams are made of yes oh my god
3: yes <laughs> i don't want to sing more than three notes of that because i don't want to get sued oh my god.
1: <laughs> but yeah i know people are gonna be uncomfortable with it and I, I totally feel you i understand but it's been seven years um my some of my most of my otps are dead and they all had to die for this moment you know, so <laughs> <laughs> just let it happen, and you know what? it doesn't matter, we can just be like, look that's Amelia, and that's Kit, and they're both sexy, and they're doing their thing, and I'm okay with I'm
3: that. Cool that, I can do that, suspended disbelief, and just like, <laughs> look at it, like those actors, for the duration of that and scene
4: yes, no so. we're gonna talk about the other scene, and the other, you <laughs> cannot suspend
1: my disbelief, I'm like ugh, uh, no. ugh, we
5: really <laughs> are going to get
1: into that, but before we do, one last thing that happens at Dragonstone, guys, that was uh really small, but I think pretty impactful because I it had questions going in my head when I right after the scene happened. But we get a Varys and Melisandre scene where she's looking over as John gets arrives there, and you know Varys is like, "Well, why weren't you there?" And Melisandre explains that they're not on good terms. And they have a conversation where Melisandra says some interesting things, like, uh, "Look, I brought I brought the I brought fire and ice together." And in my head, I was like, "Oh my god, she's she's literally saying she brought her OTP together," um, <laughs> and uh, that she was gonna go get out of Westeros, but that she was going to come back eventually because she has to die. But also, that Varys has to die here. Um, I. I mean, I don't know, guys, I have a lot of questions about this, because one, everything that Melisandre has said or, you know, seen has happened, but she's just always interpreted it wrong, Um, but it still happened. Like, she, what did she do? She she did the little beaches thing, like, to kill the three kings, and all three of them died. So, like, that happened, and then she saw Jon Snow and the the banners of the dire wolf come back into Winterfell. So, the things that, she've se- that she has seen has happened. Um, but, and she also, remember, she told Arya that she would see her again. So, is she really leaving, like, right now, and then gonna come back and see Arya next season, or later this season, or... Um, Stay away as she-
4: long as you like, lady. Or, or as long is as not- Arya <laughs> stays alive. And because she hasn't met you yet, I'm glad. Stay away. Mm-hmm. Stay away until the finale, where she but fucking I die. Like
1: <laughs> I feel like Melisandre still has a part to play, and I actually don't mind if she stays here. And I really want to know what you guys think about the things that she said in the scene. And do we have a reason to be scared for Varys? And do you guys even care if he dies or not? Are you interested? I would in care.
3: That? I think it was a bit of foreshadowing. Um, It seemed like her concession to Varys, like, yeah, I'm going to be back, I'm going to die here, and so are you. Which is fairly open to interpretation, and that's the thing with prophecies, right, is they're also nebulous. It's really easy to pick out something that sounds close enough to something, like, specific that you believe it's real. And it's kind of like the same thing uh, with, like, charlatans, you know, people back in the days who used to, you know, kind of toy with people's ideas of um, reality. But I'm interested to see how this plays out um, moving forward. It was definitely... we know at some point Varys is going to die, period, just because, you know, everybody has an expiration date. Uh, but it was really interesting, and I think it raised uh, an eyebrow and attentive viewers. And we know, much the way you guys were saying, that a lot of what she says has come true. But again, like I said, it's like, there are so many things, like Nostradamus, for example, so many of his writings, people will just bend and break and fold into pretzels to take modern-day events and make them fit that prophecy. But again, on this show, the light of the... don't even know what the name of that religion is google that but the lord of the light those people the night is dark and full of terrors they have a lot of evidence that supports their religion more so than most religions i've seen fictional or otherwise they have these things that kind of show uh okay you can point to and say oh my goodness you know i did see something in the fire i did see a smoke man kill you know Rinley baratheon so i'm interested to see if that is uh foreshadowing something dark to come there was something fairly ominous about the way she said that and then she just walks off
2: yeah i love i love the way that she says that so like with such calm she's like yeah i'm gonna die here and so will you and he's like what the heck and then she's just like okay bye um but i i think well well first of all i would care if ferris died like i i really like him i like him i think he's uh, a really vital character to the to like Daenerys and like um, the people that he's with, right? But I also think that eventually his time's gonna come. And um, I don't know. I just, you know, <laughs> I'm just waiting for. Um, I was thinking while you guys were talking, like Melisandre's gonna go and then she's gonna come back. She's gonna run into Arya and Arya's gonna kill her. That's how it's gonna end. <laughs> <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. how I hope it ends for her. <laughs> Ooh. Like, the
3: rest of that scene, Arya just, like, jumps out behind a rock and mm-hmm. is just like, just <laughs> Okay, so, much. Then,
1: so then, do you guys think that Arya will end up killing Melisandra? And that's going to be, like, the prophecy? Like, yeah, she's going to die in Westeros and it will be by Arya. Interesting. Well, she's on you... her list. Yes, that's true. But Arya yeah. hasn't killed everyone on her list. Sometimes they have died from other things, like Joffrey, she wanted to kill him, but he died by something else, so...
3: Or they haven't died entirely, like the Hound who just, like, zombied his ass back up and kept on pushing.
1: Exactly, so she has... Some of of the people on her list are still there, um, albeit undead, or just, you know, kicking and screaming. So, I mean, she still wants to kill Cersei, but I don't think she'll be the one to kill Cersei. I don't know about Massandra. I think, uh, I think I would like that. I think I wouldn't mind that, but that just depends because she wants to kill Melisandre because she took away Gendry, but Gendry's alive, so she has really she really has no need to kill Melisandre, if you think about it. Well, That's a good yeah. point on a personal level. Anyway, yeah. Arya is yeah. not
3: going to operate with that level of logical functioning. She's not going so to go. What if we get Gendry yes, back. Gonna It's okay. rational point. What if we <laughs> get Gendry
1: Oh, what if she asks Ooh. for Gendry, like when she meets Melisandra, she asks about Gendry, like, remember I told you we would see each other again? And what if she just says, like, well, you know, Gendry's not dead because Davos snuck him out. So is because that... It was
3: the one who was probably, no, I'm just playing. It. Oh <laughs> <my God>. <laughs> and, <laughs> just
0: and what
1: if... And and if, if Arya learns the truth from Melisandra that, you know, Gendry is still alive, is that going to stop her from killing her? And will that, will that leave a bitter taste in people's mouths if she, does, if she still decides to kill her?
2: Um, I don't know. Like, you know, I feel like when you talked about um, her killing Cersei, like, we know that's probably not going to happen. Uh, we know that she ha- hasn't killed everybody on her list. But I feel like Melisandre, she's a realistic person to like put on her list that I feel like it's yeah. realistic for her to think that she can kill Melisandra um, and um, I don't know like you know she's done some pretty horrible things um, like yes yeah, she rejected Jon Snow and we we have a soft <laughs> spot for that but she burned Shireen alive she's yeah like, oh, well
1: well, I, but I was, ta- but I was talking about in in a personal way because the only reason why I doesn't want to kill Melisandre just because she's bad. She wants to kill her because she took Gendry away. But yeah. Gendry, but Gendry's still alive. So why is she going to kill Melisandre? Like that's the thing I about think... Arya's Aria. yeah. list is. Personal. It's not a general thing. Every person right. on her list has done something that affects her and that she doesn't like. So Melisandre, even if we think she deserves to die because of what happened to Shereen, I don't think I would like it if Arya did kill her because Gendry is still alive.
2: Well, that this is, is true, but she killed t- me. Yeah, but she still took him away, right? Like, yeah, she took him I away, don't... but she—he's not dead. Yeah, I don't think Arya was thinking like, "Oh, she's gonna kill him, right?" She's like, "Oh, she took my friend away." From me. You know, I don't know. That's. I guess we'll have to wait and see.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that was just a question. I was just like bringing up to you guys. Like, first, do you, like, do you want her to kill Melisandre? Or second, if Melisandre tells her that Gendry's not dead, does Arya have a reason to kill her? And hey, she brought back her brother, so.
3: I just feel like she's not making these distinctions anymore. And I feel like this is definitely evidenced by the opening for the entire season this year with her, in effect, wiping House Frey off the map. I think that um, people, and I really like Arya, Uh, I like her more than Daenerys. Arya and Daenerys are, you know, I really, really like these characters. And one recurring theme that we've discussed on this show is the concept of plot armor and people being given... Uh, scenarios, even if it's kind of thinly veiled ones, to justify their actions, and I think that I've seen Arya take a turn for the darker side. Um, and you know, we got a little bit of a little bit of lightness with uh, you know the Ed Sheeran sing along and you know hot pie and yada yada. But at her heart and at her core, you know, all of the horrors and atrocities she's had to to go through have hardened her and have made her just rough around um the edges. But I don't think I think that even if she found out Gendry's alive, she might just still kill Melisandra just because, you know, she's and I, I I can't say I'd be particularly pissed about it. I'm not gonna flip a fucking table like, oh my god, Melisandra, you were only six hundred years old. I, knew you, I wouldn't really care about it, but yeah, I I'm interested to see if we see more of Dark Arya um, moving forward. I, I think that's a, a fascinating thing to see.
1: Well, I think that the, a turning point for her was when she ran into the Lannister soldiers, was kind of analyzing to see what, how she could kill them, but decides not to. And she also decides to go to Winterfell instead of to kill Cersei. So I'm wondering, like, if that's going to be like her ultimate test like when she comes mm-hmm. to Melisandre, because i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say it right here i know everybody hates melisandra i hate for her killing shereen but i don't think melisandra is an evil person i think that she was just one of those re- crazy zealous religious pr- people and that mm-hmm. and she shows a lot of regret in the past two seasons of what she's done and she's gonna i don't know if she's gonna go and repent or whatever but she does feel guilty, and I feel like an evil person would not care, and she'd be like, "Well, I did anything my lord, and it didn't work out." Okay, whatever. No, she feels she feels really bad for what she's done, and she doesn't do anything anymore in regards to like killing and burning people. So, like, like that's just like how I feel about Melisandre. Like, I, if she dies too, I'm gonna cry. But I also right. don't think I think that uh, she's not a very black and white character. I think she's a lot of gray, in my opinion.
3: Yeah. I think you're I right that she is better now and I do think she is exhibiting signs of remorse to some of the big show we just haven't seen. They haven't gone back and done much reflection or thought, you know, because they were all so uh discontent on living in the, the future. Um this is going to be one of those storylines to look out for uh moving forward it's not one of the the ones ones that kind of encompasses you know a lot of the hour and uh, is a huge part of the uh, the great game but arya is kind of subspot. um i'm really interested to see how this develops and what it's leading to because the stark family reunion with arya i mean arguably she is well i guess john died so that would um he might steal this but i was going to say That he's probably the one who's changed the most, or she's probably—excuse me—the one who has changed the most. Um, It's dramatic, you know. The last time that they saw Arya, she was incredibly young, incredibly juvenile. So seeing this reunion, and even though she's kind of, you know, noticeably absent from this last episode, I think is going to be very rewarding for those of us who have been watching and you know been obsessed with this show uh, since the pilot.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, It was just think food for you guys about Melisandre because I know everyone has like. Um, opinions about her and I, I do believe that she will die I just don't know if it will be by Arya but I am keeping in mind when they see each other again that it's going to be really interesting so I just found Melisandre to be a really interesting character I just I just like that the way she is now she looks like she's kind of lost hope in the lord of light even though mm. she but she believes in Jon Snow and she believes in Daenerys and brought them together like she did her good she brought them together so i'm wondering how she's going to fit into it and who will who will kill her cuz i think she will die i just don't know if Varys is going to die or how he's going to die and i hope if he does die it's like after little finger because i need little finger to go um but he yeah has so
2: to go this season
1: he has to i agree i think <laughs> if, uh I think he's on his way, to be honest. That's, like, one of my theories.
3: Uh, I kind of think the opposite, you guys. I think that it's, like, when, like, new parents are, like, it's quiet. they are too quiet. You know, <laughs> where it's, like, um, you, we are so used to, particularly in the seasons 4 or 5, I thought I to say 3, 4, and 5, his machinations were more on the forefront. And I want to say, I just feel like just because the writers may not be dedicating to that. Littlefinger, I feel like, is kind of a looming threat. Not uh, 100% unlike the White Walkers, and the parallels I see between the two of them, is that they're kind of these seen yet unseen threats, right? They're things that people know about and know are dangerous and know, you know, yeah, but what they actually do and how they respond to them is completely different. So I'm wondering, it just seems so weird to me, that Little Power, or Little Power, oh my God. Uh, I feel
5: so... (laughs) (laughs)
3: hopefully that gets edited nope that will not (laughs) Uh, yeah little finger um i think it's insane to think that he you know is just kind of resigned to this life of you know being in the background being a secondary force and his monologue uh, or not even a monologue but his little speech to sansa about you know i've looked at every possibility everybody is my friend Everybody is my enemy if you weigh everything that could potentially happen you'll never be surprised you'll never be taken advantage of you'll always have the upper hand which uh when he Talking about it, um, I wrote this down on my notes. I was like, "Ooh, this is super Doctor Who! The idea of like all possibilities happening at one time and at one point." Um, so I I'm interested to see how these. Small. I don't want to say smaller necessary, but they're kind of secondary, like your Varys or your Littlefinger. I don't see. I don't think we've seen the last from them in terms of surprises or twists. I think that uh, Littlefinger is very patiently sitting on his hands, waiting for an opportunity that he can take advantage of.
1: I agree only with uh, that he is probably planning something, but I feel like we're at the chapter of the of the series where. His game, the politics game, is like not even something we should worry about. Like Cersei is yeah. the last bit that we're connected to as far as politics and the game are going. Because after Cersei's gone, it's all about the White Walkers and where does Littlefinger fit into the fantasy realm? Where is Point? And I feel like this is something in his plan that he didn't really think of. Even though he's saying think about everything, I feel like we haven't really heard his stance on the White Walkers, like, he hasn't really said anything about it, and so I feel like it could be easy for the writers to kind of discard him, uh, at least in the show, I don't know about like, what they're gonna do with him in the books, but I feel mm-hmm. like in the show, he's kind of done, I think, and also because I feel like this next generation of kids, like Jon and Sansa and them, they're smarter than the older generation that already got wiped out. Like, they Lysa are. was crazy. Cersei thinks she's smarter than everybody, but she's also kind of She's, Cersei's interesting, but Ned was dumb, Catelyn was dumb, Rob was dumb. Like everybody was dumb. But these kids, they—they've been through a lot, and they've seen Bran too. Has seen a lot. Jon, seen, Jon already hates him. I just feel like Littlefinger's days are numbered. But he may have something up his sleeve that may kind of shock us. But I still think he might die. Um, and Varys is more into the fantasy, so I see him kind of lasting longer. But I don't know. Right.
3: I mean, I,
1: I mean
4: I With don't
3: Varys know. is um what do you call it? This is Game of like Thrones, meta- so
1: like you don't you don't
4: have like the good guy staying just because he's a good guy. Like you have yeah, bad true. shit happen that's because right. like it tears you apart. So I'm totally I just... thinking Varys is gonna die because he's worth it, because he's a better person. Like, this is just, that's just how the game is played.
1: Even if they are going to die, which maybe I believe they are, I just wonder when it's going to be. Because I don't know, because if this season's all about, like, getting the alliances and getting ready for the walkers and getting rid of Cersei, where is Littlefinger going to fit into season 8 when they're fighting the White Walkers? Like, is he going to come out there and fight? Like, I mean, like... I don't know, you know, so... there's two, too, like, is he gonna fight? Like, I'm thinking of all the characters that don't fight, Are like, are they gonna fight? So, they just need to get rid of some characters. And speaking of getting rid of some characters, a uh, great segue, if I do say so myself. We gotta go to King's Landing, guys. After that crazy battle, or... I don't even know if it was the battle. It was just like an ambush. Battle-ish. Pirates of the Caribbean, Euron's Revenge, or whatever. (laughs) Um, Euron, we see Euron on his horse. He's getting praised by King's Landing. He brings Alaria, Tyene, and Yara to Cersei. And Cersei agrees to his marriage proposal um, after the war. Hint, hint. Um... And Euron continues to burn Jamie and he like, yes, which is amazing. I love it. I'm loving Euron, guys. Like, I don't care.
0: Yeah.
1: He's just amazing. I love him. Um, which is really refreshing, because I couldn't love Joffrey. I couldn't love Ramsey. I kind of like Tywin, because he would always shut Cersei up, and that was fun. Um, <laughs> but Eur- Euron, I feel like he's, like, what to, like, the Iron Islands, but I don't care about the Iron Islands. So Euron is just a lot of fun for me. Um, So he continues to burn Jaime. This is the juicy stuff. We get the scene in the dungeon with Cersei, Tyene, and Alaria. And I feel like the performance of the year should go to Lena Headey for this. Because I know that a lot of us are against Cersei. But I have to admit, I was rooting for her in this moment. Just like I rooted for her against that shame lady from last season. Um... I was like damn that revenge is nice. Like when Cersei gets <laughs> her revenge, it is amazing. And I couldn't help but root for her um to kill Tyene in the way she did in such a poetic way, but her whole scene and her dialogue, you know, asking Alaria like, "You killed my daughter. Why did you do that?" Like love- I admit, I I I absolutely love it. Um,
3: that acting was great. I think you're exactly right. And the moment that you just brought up the, you know, uh, you killed my daughter. Why did you do that? Was weirdly the highlight of that scene for me because it was a crack. It was uh, taking a look at Cersei through a human perspective that we normally don't apply to her because she's a fucking ghoul. She's a monster. She's terrible. She's a terrorist. She's very paranoid, She's just the worst. I think.
1: I think her paranoia makes her do stupid things, in my opinion. Yes.
3: Well, I just—it's like—are you paranoid? Really, out to get you?
1: Yes, she is. I think that—that that <laughs> is exactly what it is. I think she—she she also gets paranoid about her relationship with Jamie, which which props him to push uh, Brent out of the window. She hates uh, Tyrion because he killed her mom and because of the prophecy. Um, I mean, she just—and then she hates Marjorie just because she's younger, prettier than her, and she thinks that she's going to corrupt her her. Her, her two sons. I mean, she she's paranoid by everything. And that's why she wants Marjorie in the dungeon back in season five because even though we know Marjorie's
3: not bad. She, she, she just wants her <laughs> out of the
1: way. But see it, I feel like this all is because Cersei's so paranoid. And then remember the prophecy. She will be will be cast down or moved aside by a younger, more beautiful queen. So first she sees it as Sansa. So she keeps Sansa on a close tab, and she's able to control her because Sansa's like only thirteen. So mm. then it then Marjorie comes and she sets her eyes on Marjorie. So I feel like it's a lot of Cersei paranoia, and that she's. All, I also think she's a little cruel, but she wasn't as cruel as Joffrey. We saw that. So, but her only redeeming quality is her kids. So the Marcella scene was just beautiful, and then the way she decides to to kill time, chained up to the wall, they can't even talk to each other. Like it was just. Oh, my God. It was a beautiful scene. And, I mean, what happens after is probably Priscilla's favorite part, right? <laughs> <laughs> Silence. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Damn. You can just laugh. I know it's not your favorite. But how did you feel about the the dungeon scene?
4: <sighs> that dungeon scene was the
1: best.
4: Like, I, I... Sorry. I hate Cersei just as much as everyone, apparently. Mm-hmm. But it, it's the perfect revenge for someone that did something, like, that wrong to you. Marcella was a good person. She didn't deserve what, like, the kiss yeah. of death. And when you see, like, your daughter fade away right in front of you, like, as, as, a, as a father, like, you should feel sad. So can you imagine, like, Cersei, who didn't even get a chance to see her daughter die. She just got, like, to see her body before she hadn't this the way she did with all, with her son like just recently so to have that beautiful like way to redeem your daughter by by enacting the same punishment to another mother the person that did this to you god it's poetic it was perfect like at the time i was like "Ooh!" like that, that was all i could say the entire time i thought probably something like an like a like an ape or something, just like ooh <laughs> 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 ooh.
1: So, and you know, I, I guess what got me into this, got me into this thing. It didn't take me out of. I feel like some people did say this that uh, the the lipstick color that she had was really really bright in like the dark dungeon, like pink, while she wore all black and the dungeon was really dim. You know? and I was like, oh oh, like it was like it, it was clicking in my head of what she was gonna do, but. It was Dude, just so good. So many people were like, she's celebrating National Lipstick Day with that shit. Right.
4: People were
2: like, there's oh, a wow. Sephora in yes.
1: King's Landing. Like, what's going on here? Outa, um, <laughs> did you like that dungeon scene?
2: Oh my goodness. I loved it. Cersei has to be my favorite villain ever. She's mm-hmm. just spectacular. I don't... I did hate her before. Like, I, you know, in season one and stuff. But she's... You know, she's just had so much character development as a villain. And I just love it so much because she's... She acts both... um, How do you say it? Like, she thinks what she's going to do, but she also acts spontaneously. Mm -hmm. She's also a very spontaneous person at the same time. So, I just like, that moment when um you're on is like here's your gift and she looks at them you see the look on her face that's she, i like, love that yeah oh my goodness yes. she's both like angry and excited And it's like oh my god what is she going to do to them mm-hmm. and it's just and then you cut to this dungeon scene and at first i was like wow that lipstick's like amazing so Before. i was like what are you wearing <laughs> <laughs> yeah like <laughs> what are you wearing and then actually didn't see it coming, the poison thing, until she starts, um, until she's like, you know, like, I can't, uh, I don't sleep at night, I just sit at the canopy and um, imagine how I will kill my enemies. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I, it, in that moment, just everything clicked. And I was like, oh my god. Like, this is just going to be amazing. And then she just kisses her. And the look on Elaria's face is can see her pain even though she's not speaking and she has like this uh thing on her mouth and it's just like you can see the pain and I don't know the name of this actress unfortunately but she did a great job too um in like the two of them just they sold me on it I just Mm -hmm. love favorite thing in this episode (laughs) so far yeah yeah.
1: I was going to mention that that uh I know a lot of us uh, and practically like almost all the fans weren't really fond of the born uh, plot. I think it was poorly executed. I think their motivation was illogical. I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on. I couldn't relate to them. I didn't like them. It was just all wrong. But in that dungeon scene, even though Lena just like takes it, like just, Cersei's just amazing. Alaria, I think was, was probably one of the best acting that she that she does aside from when she sees Oberon killed. I'm like, why do I like this this uh this actress going through a bunch of emotions like terrible but uh (laughs) that was if she was very strong in that in that scene i may not like her in any of the other scenes in her dialogue but in this one i could feel it the thing the sad thing is had it had her story or their or storyline be stronger that we like the characters i think the scene could have hold could have held so much more weight um, then it did, but I still feel really, really satisfied because you have to side with one of the or with one of the people that you're that you're watching and I really sided with Cersei so I felt like I felt uh validated while watching that scene.
3: Mm.
1: Um and I really liked it, but that's taken away later on in the episode, uh, with someone else's death. But uh yeah.
4: Dude, she's very much being becoming the Mad King heiress. Like Yeah, she's Mad uh, Queen Cersei. This that's how that's how the Stark um the family that how they died. Like one of them was burned alive and the other one was chained by the neck, trying his damnest to like get to hit the father to try yeah. and save him and was choked to death that way. So like you're kind of going to see the same thing here where like one of them is like slowly being poisoned to death and the other is going to like try her damnness to get to her daughter before mm. she yep, dies.
1: I love that she tells her, you know, if, you, if you're not going to eat, we're going to force it down you. Like you that were was going terrifying to i was like yes but also it like, was
3: oh, very shit. american Horror story i thought that whole idea about like the torture and maintenance and yada yada it echoed and i'm like going on a, a side nerd tangent here but it reminded me of the end of american horror story coven when marie Laveau and delphine and they end up having this eternity like you know with each other and the fact that she said to her like you are going to watch your daughter rot you are going to watch her pretty little face collapse. You're going to watch her wither and just waste a day. And if you don't eat, we'll force you and we'll change the torture every couple of hours. It is nefarious in a way that, I mean, you know, I I often complain about villains who feel the need to to monologue before they do something and this, this, and that. And Cersei has proven herself time and time again a villain that you do not want to be an adversary of because the people who piss her off end up dead end up worse than dead. One could argue that Alaria's face is worse than death having to sit there and literally watch, you know, a family member, somebody that you love decompose in front of you for days and weeks and months and years. Uh, it's crazy, Cersei. It, it, when you strip someone's last vestige of humanity, which in my opinion was Tommen, who we lost at the end of season six, it shows how dangerous someone with nothing to lose is, especially in a position of power. And it, all I'm going to say, and I, I've promised that I, I, to myself at least that I was not going to get political you know, during this podcast, but I see a lot of echoes between things that are happening in American politics and things that are happening in games. So uh, it's... It's very interesting to to see that dynamic, and I'm interested to see if we'll see Alaria again, if we will go down back into these dungeons, or if she escapes. I'm wondering if you know she at any point will come back into play.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if we just see her corpse next time or something. Because yeah,
3: mm-hmm. um,
1: it just it would. I don't know. I I do think we're done with the actresses. Um, I think that was kind of the writer's way of telling us, like, hey. We listen. We know we fucked up with the Dorn, so here's kind of like a but they did it not in a cheap way. And also with the other two Sand Snakes, I feel like they let them have like their choreography, their fight scene, and they died brutally. But you know they got to do something, and it it resonated like because they died. Danny has less of a of a fleet that she has less of an army, and with Alaria and Tyene dying, you know it's a it's a poetic justice for Cersei, and even if. You hate Cersei with, like, every fiber in your body. Like, you, you just hate her. Um, you could still resonate with her in Marcella's death because we got a little bit of Marcella in season one, season two, and then in season five. So I think overall the writers did an excellent job with closing the Dorne uh, storyline characters and giving Cersei her, uh, her revenge. But, uh, that's not all we get. Um, We get, we, I mean, the dungeon scene was probably the heaviest thing we could talk about, but other stuff happened, which was Cersei getting a visit from, um, uh, the Iron Bank, uh, not before, um, getting awakened by one of her handmaidens and, uh, having sexy times with Jaime, uh, I just kind of love that Priscilla's favorite scene yeah, uh, no. I just love that that turned her on so much that she goes to Jamie and she's like alright let's get it on he's like okay I guess so um, oh my
4: god I killed so many people <laughs> I need to give you head right now <laughs> I know after oh just god.
1: having the poison okay. after just having the poison on her she was like let's do it and I was like that's not where you want to put your lips first girl but um, uh, they they're pretty happy, and uh, Cersei talks to the Iron Bank guy. I I did not catch his name. If anyone catch, caught his name, please tell me. Um, I don't remember. But nope. they're talking money, and we've known since like what season three or two that the crown is like they owe so much money, and massive they haven't debt. even massive debt, and they haven't even paid any of it back, even with having the alliance with the Tyrells like they just haven't paid it back and Cersei promises this guy that she will have his money in a fortnight and I was like what so I'm like Cersei are you lying out of your ass like really like what what, where are you gonna get that money and also the name of the guy Tycho Nestoris Tycho okay that's a really interesting name um, he doesn't the
3: stores. He
1: really say that he's on Cersei's side, but he, I guess he takes up takes her up on her on on her offer of um, the fortnight. Like, hey, you're gonna be paid. And he's kind of like, "Okay, we'll see what happens." And I'm here wondering, like, where the hell is she gonna get this money? I'm not spending all her money like like Robert did or whatever. But they are in a war, and wars cost money, and wars are won by the people that have the most money. So. Yeah. But it didn't click in my head who has the most money right now. Like among the houses or the, the the ones that we know on the on the show. But they give it to us basically at the end of the episode. Jamie's forces, instead of having the majority of them protecting Casterly Rock, they're with him heading to High Garden where we see Lady Olenna watching the army as, she, as they approach um, where she is and... I mean they wipe out everybody, they take everybody and he goes to talk to Olena. She confesses to Joffrey and she drinks poison and she dies. I mean and then I was like mind blown. That's where they're getting the money from. Holy crap. Oh
3: man, oh man. Guys,
1: I know it's heavy, it's heavy. I we have to talk about this. I need to know (laughs) how did you feel about that twist of Jamie's forces going to High Garden? that that's where they're going to get the money, and Lady Olena being the Queen of Thorns till her dying breath. Yep. Go ahead, Clay. Well, I know you have a lot of feels.
3: Let's go. <laughs> I think nobody, I have fairly strong opinions about this. Brilliant writing. Love Game of Thrones. <clears throat> I never compare or complain. I was about to say I never complain when a favorite of mine dies, but I've spent portions of this podcast doing exactly that, so I'll retract that statement. <laughs> um... This one, uh, I kind of felt this in the ether and in episode one or two of this season of this podcast, I talked about that when we were talking about, you know, we we're speculating what gift was Yaron going to bring back to Cersei uh, to prove his uh, allegiance to her, to, to inspire faith. And my guess was Olenna, um, because she I can't think of any other Tyrell or Tyrell um on the game board she was the the lone person um you know she's uh a little bit up there in age and she just the even outside of the money just you know Cersei's hatred for their back and forth i thought that she would be an easy target um alina tyrell queen of shade queen of fucking sticking it telling people what's queen of not giving A shit about Cersei's nonsense. She was amazing. Um, The last bastion of a great house. It was really sad to see her go. I miss the actress. Uh, I'm going to miss the character moving forward. But what I can say. This is one of the most satisfying times a favorite character of mine has died. Because of how she died. Her ace up her sleeve waiting until, what I love is she's like, okay, this is going to hurt. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. Just, you know, take it to the head. No hesitation. She takes it like she's in, you know, a fraternity, just like straight to the head. And then she's like, by the by... Just so you know, (laughs) I love the way that she takes the poison once she realizes, you know, she's, I don't want to say in the clear, but doesn't have a as gruesome path as she may have been imagining. Her, uh, sharing the truth about her role in Joffrey's death and killing a king and killing, uh, Jamie's inbred son, um, was perfectly written. And she got the last laugh. She went out on top. Um, but it was it was frustrating. And I was like thinking about uh, just Marjorie and all that this week when I was prepping uh, for today's recording. I was just like, man, they're just I don't know hopefully, um, I'm just gonna try to find organic ways to just jam more Olena and Marjorie in, in future episodes. So Game of Thrones isn't really a show <laughs> known for its throwbacks, but you know, I- I'm hoping whether it's zombie Marjorie and oh my God, Olenna, zombie Olenna.
1: <laughs> White Walker yes, or
3: Zombie <laughs> Lena. I'm I'm with that. That would be so fucking dope. I feel I like mean, she would just like sip tea and just order the other fucking white walkers around. Like she's just posted with her blue eyes and she's just like, no, I'm above that. <laughs>
4: I'm just hoping that they get the revenge because th- thats the fall of a great house, and not only that, like of a great woman. Yeah. She like—is it weird to say like she doesn't deserve what she got because she deserved like more? Everything,
0: yeah. But like, no,
4: I... what she did get was like a cool send off, like in a—I don't know. Like, I feel both unfulfilled and proud of how she died. It's weird Agreed. like that that that's what happens when like your faves die. Like ah oh, you knew it was going to happen but you didn't know when it was going to happen and I didn't know it was going to be so soon. I thought like right. she was going to die it'd be, like next season like the end of the season that it would be the game changing episode and no no it wasn't.
3: Well, <sighs> yeah, it was to... hard to to deal with and watch,
4: yeah. I would expect I, I... better stuff for for Danny, like God. She she she's losing her, the last of her fleet. She's losing her like um, unsullied army because they're they're screwed over there. She's losing her money purse with the Tyrells. She lost the rest of the army that she could have gotten from uh, the the Dornish people so she yeah. she lost a ton this episode like that's not ah it's game of thrones you win some sometimes you lose a lot all the time it's
2: <laughs> <laughs> true
3: very um, true
2: i thought that yeah the way they um sent her off was really cool <laughs> i was um not expecting her to be dropping all of those burns to Jamie and uh, I know we talk about poor Sansa but like poor Jamie he's like like, (laughs) he's just getting burned (laughs) yeah yeah. like he's like you know like I just want to be a good guy like I know I have to do this but at least you know I'm giving you like like a nice way to die it's not gonna hurt we're not gonna like embarrass you in public and like have you you know Walk through King's Landing naked while people throw shit at you, <laughs> and <laughs> then Lady Olenna like, okay, thank you for like you know killing me so nicely, but like I killed your son. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. <laughs> I I felt I felt kind of bad for Jamie because like I don't know. I I've I, I like him. I've I I started to like him ever since like he pretty much ever since he teamed up with Brienne, and um, yeah. So, I don't know, I felt a, re- a little bad for him, but I also felt kind of emotional for um, Lady Elena, because she was, she's, was just such a badass character that, you know, gave all of our, pretty much all of our main characters, you know, really great lessons to yeah. all of them. Like, even, even Cersei, they had some really great conversations and I'm gonna miss that, I have to say. I'm going to
3: miss it. Best one-liners. Either got a nugget of yeah. wisdom or a fucking burn that was epic from Olena. Every time. Every time. She, every and time. You know she
2: yeah, really yeah, was her. a
1: cunt. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, I was, that. I
4: was like, <laughs> she, she
1: didn't just burn Jamie, She burned Joffrey, and he was already dead. And she got yeah. the last laugh with Cersei's. Like, she's like, you Cersei let her die in a painless way, but she killed her son. And that's also a really big, like, uh, like, revelation like for jamie to know because he she tells him tell cersei i want her to know it was me so i'm wondering one is jamie going to tell her and two is it going to matter because they put Tyrion think- on trial and he was gonna die for that now they know that he's completely innocent but no, he
4: so knows cersei- that he's completely innocent but the fact of the matter is he still killed tywin
1: oh yeah no right. but yeah but i'm still saying like it the reason why she hates him more well not more but she hated him first was because of Joffrey. So now that and Jamie was right because Jamie would tell her Tyrion did not kill Joffrey. Even if he killed his dad he did not kill Joffrey. So I'm wondering if this bit of news is something. Oh, and the third one was is, is Jamie even going to tell her? Because maybe he might not cuz I don't I don't know what to expect with Jamie right now, but I feel like that talk with Elena might have been a mini wake-up call mini Mm. not entirely just mini because he was still kind of defending like his point like she may be a monster to you like referring to cersei she may be a monster to you but to me she's not you know but olena was giving him a like a spoonful of like truth um about about cersei so i'm wondering if any of it's going to stick with him and he doesn't he doesn't disagree either when she uh tell uh, them that Joffrey is a cunt because he <laughs> knew too because Joffrey was mean to him too he would always make fun of his uncle like oh look you're only the King Prince book haha ha, you never did anything so <laughs> I, I don't know where we're going with Jamie right now
3: I think everything Olenna said to him was a confirmation of an idea that had already been planted. Um, I think the destruction of the Baelor, or whatever it's called... Um, His look to her that ended Season 6 was really ambiguous, and a lot of people talked about that and were curious, what did that mean? And I that he, on some basic level, has always known this, because he is closer to Cersei than anybody. He is way more privy to her own special brew of crazy and her own neuroses, so he knows... This stuff that Olenna is telling him. And he can see that, you know, it's about to kill her. This is a dying woman who gains nothing from, you know, she, like she says in that scene, what better audience they have to talk about these kind of things. And it was really interesting. Now, Brittany, to your question about is Jamie going to tell Cersei that, you know, Tyrion did not kill Joffrey. He's off the hook. Um, he might. But I think your second question is really well chosen because I think ultimately that's the important thing is is it doesn't matter. Because what I think is that before, uh, you know, Cersei hated Tyrion for the death of Joffrey or the perceived death of Joffrey, um, she hated him before that because he killed her mom and she never let him down. And there's that scene in season four, I want to say, when Oberyn goes to Tyrion and he's like, I met you once. Uh, I saw your, you know, sister. She brought us into your, because she said that you were a monster and this, this, and that. And um, so, I don't know how much it would change. Cersei has built uh, almost like an ideology around this. Uh, the Tyrion being um, the source, the catalyst of all the pain and the loss, and you know these things. She's had a face very conveniently to put. All of that blame on that doesn't, it isn't her. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question in terms of, it's a good one, uh, but I don't know if it matters. If he well, does tell her, does it, what is it, what of it, you know, what will come of it?
1: Well, what I mean by like, does it matter? Like not, not so much for Cersei in terms of is she going to suddenly love Tyrion? Because no, I think her hate's always going to be rooted right. with the death of her mother, but also enforced by that prophecy, which, they never really talked about it in the the uh, the series itself and the T show, but it is in the books. Um, so maybe that they're trying to give it a shock to the to the audience about what happens to her. But that third thing in the prophecy that she has has to do something with Tyrion. So I feel like she's always going to hate Tyrion. But what I mean by doesn't matter, it is more in terms of it uh, doesn't matter for. Jamie because if Jamie does tell her and, be, and, and is like, you know, our brother is not this person that you paint him to be, and Cersei still shuts him down, I'm wondering if Jamie's going, is that going to be a wake-up call to him? Right. Because um, I know he still hates Tyrion for killing his father, but I, I do know that having his name cleared for killing Joffrey might kind of, I don't know, make him, make him hate him less? I mean, I don't know, he's always believed no. that, that Tyrion... Didn't kill Joffrey, so I'm kind of wondering if this is going to be the breaking point between Cersei and Jaime. Is this uh,
4: is that really proof that that Tyrion didn't c- conspire with him? Like that's the thing that that Cersei's gonna feed him. Like it doesn't pr- it doesn't prove or disprove anything. He still could have been working with her, and she's still working with Daenerys. Like so, th- it it changes nothing. He's still our enemy, and he's already
1: yeah.
4: he's already. Created his little incest bed with her. He's lied in it a, more than three times, like, on this show. And <laughs> obviously, like, based on the children, more than three times, like, going on. Just this
3: mathematically. Show. So that you <laughs> so, don't
4: think
1: this talk with Elena is going to do anything for him?
4: No, I like, but that's, like, again, like, you're asking the wrong person because I can't stand Jamie. He's, like, my least favorite character. Like, <laughs> because because he gets so much sympathy from, like... Everyone else, it's like no, but he's really a good, and he's just in love with the wrong woman. I'm like, fuck that! That made his mm. choice. Like, he's <laughs> he, he's, and all of this evil stuff that he that he's done. He pushed a little kid off a roof like, freaking hello episode one. Like he's an, he he's an evil fucker, so. He did so. it for
1: love.
2: Yeah. No, I'm
3: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: no, I also think that Jamie's also a very gray character for me as well. I mean. I'm not going to cover the things he's done the same way with Melisandra. She did something freaking horrible, wh- and it was probably one of those episodes that I can never rewatch. Um, but I do think that Jamie's always had... was not always the way Cersei was. Like, Jamie didn't hate Tyrion for killing his mom. Like, Jamie may have been a titled person. Maybe he always thought he was better than other people, but I don't know if he necessarily was as bad as Cersei because Cersei has always had the her characteristics that she has now she's always been like that but Jamie, right. I feel like there's a lot of history before when he barely gets into the uh the Kingsguard where we don't know too much about him but we do get that vulnerability when he t- when he tells Brienne what happened the day of uh when they sack King's Landing and he kills the Mad King and I feel like that's, like, I think the turning point for me when I started to like him a lot more. Because Ned looked down on him for killing the king, but he didn't hear the whole story of what was happening. So I was like, so I don't know, like, for Jamie I'm also very black and white. I mean, black and white. I'm very gray area, but I don't know when um, he's going to break away from Cersei. I still think that he will kill her, but I, I'm hoping the Olena talk was kind of an eye-opener for him.
3: I hope. I'm wondering if it won't, in a way, and this may be a, a bit too on the nose. I'm wondering if you know Jamie does indeed. Let's say we're right here, just you know, for conversations like that. Jamie is the person uh, who fills this prophecy and ends up um, killing Cersei. I wonder if it will, echo or in some way, you know, if the show will draw parallels to the off-screen death of the Mad King, wherein you know Jamie ran him through from behind. Um, And it may... What I think is happening is that one thing we've seen on this show happen with Arya, Sansa, Tyrion I mean most characters is that they start one way and then they begin making all of these tiny choices and concessions and little things where they explain and you know justify it to themselves and then after you know a thousand little changes they don't even recognize themselves anymore because it's so transformative so I'm interested to see what this means for future episodes particularly I want to see if any of this is going to be touched on um, in the next four
1: I think so. Like, the only four episodes. So, if the plot is moving this fast, I feel like we're going to get some some of these answers. Maybe even in the next episode. I feel like we're getting answers to things, like, the very next episode. And I'm like, how? What's going on? Dang. But I'm okay with it. So, I'm, I am interested in Jamie. I personally had a lot of theories of where his character was going to go. But since I brought it up earlier, uh, where I was talking about how Littlefinger, like, how I feel like his place in this story doesn't make sense anymore in this, like... Last arc, of, like the White Walker, the White Walkers, and the the Long Night and stuff. Like politics don't really make sense for that point. So I'm kind of wondering if Jamie's story ends with Cersei, or um is he gonna have like a new chapter like after she dies or after he kills her? Or some people are theorizing when he kills her, he's gonna kill himself too. Cause uh, yeah. some Cersei said something like that in the first season. Like we were born together. We belong together. We're gonna die together. So I'm wondering if right. that might mm-hmm. be it. Um, I would personally like to see him go back with like Brienne if I was, but I don't know if that's if Jamie belongs in the supernatural part of Game of Thrones.
3: Mm. So I think there are some characters like Brienne who would really um, who are, are fairly straight men um, doing air quotes here, a um, straight men rather, and they. Uh, uh, much like seeing, you know, Tyrion when he first saw the dragons, it's really cool and kind of fun within the narrative of this show to take people who are believers, uh, who are cynics, who are skeptical, uh, and put them in these situations where they're provided with irrefutable evidence to something that they can't understand. Uh, a prime example that has popped in my head was the hound looking into, uh, the fire. So I'm interested to see how this is going to play out, um, and where it's going to go from here. Uh, I think more so than ever. um this is, it's leaving me with more and more question in these episodes because of the pace at which the um. They're flying by all of these things, you know, we have Jon Snow and Daenerys meeting in episode three, you know, and it opens the episode. So it makes me wonder a lot more about, are they, I mean, I, before I would have the assumption, no, they would touch on this next season or, you know, whatever. But with shorter episodes and with the increased pace that we've been talking about tonight... I am really interested uh, to see if these threads aren't just followed up in the next episode versus, you know, the next season or in a couple episodes as it's been in previous seasons of Game of Thrones.
1: Damn. (laughs) I mean, does anyone else have anything to add to our theories or some thoughts you want to get out there before we jump into MVPs? Uh,
2: Go ahead. I well I was just going to say that I do I do think that um Jamie Jamie's story is that yeah Jamie's story and mm. with um <laughs> with a uh, with Cersei I feel. I hope that he kills her. I don't see Tyrion killing her. Um and I I honestly don't see anyone else but Jamie killing yeah. her. And I feel and I feel like I don't if he'll um, kill himself, like um, that theory says, but I feel like something's going to happen and they're both going to die together. He's going to kill her, and then he's going to die somehow. Right. I
1: I, I, I don't that's That's, uh, yeah, okay. Just I'd no. like
4: to see him play a role in the final battle. I'd like to see him, like, Oh, for really, the Jamie like...
1: hater! What? Yeah, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like to.
3: See <laughs> she just wants to be useful for once. <laughs> yeah,
1: to redeem. I want to see the love triangle with Tormund and Brienne and Jamie. Like, <laughs> uh... I mean, <laughs>
4: that's not a love Let triangle. If one romance. of the corners doesn't want to work too well together here. <laughs> yeah.
1: Look, I-, I mean, I'm hoping that that Jamie's story doesn't end with Cersei. I f- I would hope that a chapter or a whole like, because that was like a whole arc of like his. Basically, he lives for Cersei, and I know that's a lot more like specified in the books, but it's also shown in the show, especially since it's season seven, and he's get he's giving her weird looks, but he's still standing by her and kind of defending her. So she's a big part of his world, and the only connection he has left, even though he has Brianna as a friend, it's mostly always been Cersei. So I'm hoping. It seems likely that it'll end with her, but I'm hoping he realizes he does have other friends. Like, he has Bronn, he has Brienne, and maybe he'll reach out to that and start a different life. But that's just personally what I want. It could go that way, but, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I, I would like to see Jamie kick some ass against the White Walkers, and I feel like we could we could use all the help. Honestly, especially with Jamie being like really good with a sword, so right. I would I would like to see him do that and to have a little bit of redemption because even his arc with Brienne wasn't entirely a redemption thing, um, especially since you can't forget what he's done. So, but I do think being around Cersei did you know influence him. By the way, yeah, I don't want to say that's corrupted an excuse even. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say that's an excuse, but I do want to say is that. Cersei probably made him do things that maybe, not that he felt bad for, but he's a really questioned. Like, he's always, no, he's all it's always been Cersei for him. Like, he's right. never slept with anyone. Surprisingly, he's never slept with anyone. He's never done anything. But Cersei, on the other hand, has cheated on him. Has done Hello. really things. She got mad when she, re- when he returned to her. Like, she was awful to him, but he's been fiercely loyal. So, yeah.
3: Yeah. Cersei has hit every branch and banged every branch of her family tree. She is yeah. just running through family albums, using it like and, uh, Are we gonna uh, get a
1: Euron and it. Cersei
3: scene this season? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm interested to see where they're going. There is this electric, white-hot intensity that comes off of the actor who plays Euron. <laughs> and it's in this crazy fucking... <laughs> eye. You can just see that he is just lost it. He's just nuts. And like... Um, It's humorous, and it's scary. uh, The praise that was heaped on him earlier, I completely 100% agree with. I think that he is um, the best villains with air quotes on this show are not, you know, straight-out villains. And one could argue that there really aren't, you know, heroes and villains in the traditional sense um, on this show. But uh, these, I think, particularly the next one... um, I, I know you guys probably saw this in the news. I didn't look at the, or look at them, but there was a leak uh, from Game of Thrones, HBO, that huge security breach. And I haven't read the script for the next episode myself, but I do think that there are some things that I read a headline about or um, that I think may potentially come into play um, moving forward to this next episode. And that's why I keep saying, like, I want to see what happens next. I want to see what happens next. I want to see how we get from where we are now to there.
1: Yeah, and it's it's pretty crazy. Only four episodes, and then the last two are going to be a little bit longer. So, um, I think we're going to get some really great stuff. So I, for one, am not mad about this season and how fast we're going. I don't like fillers, um, and this is me speaking as an also as an anime fan. I hate fillers. I don't like it. <laughs> they don't do anything. Um, I mean, to be honest, I think last season we had an episode about the hound, and I was happy he was alive. But his whole story, I didn't give. I, I just did not care. That episode was so boring to me, I did not care. So I'm glad we're not getting any of those. And I do miss him, though. I hope we get him maybe in a couple episodes, or he's going to meet up with Jon Snow. I mean, I don't know. But <laughs> what I do know is we finished talking about this episode, guys, and I feel like we need to talk about our most valuable player. And I feel like I can guess all of yours. No, I'm just kidding. I probably can't. <laughs> Um, but I'm being, I feel nice tonight, so I'm gonna let Priscilla go first.
4: Oh, gosh, I feel so bad. I'm sorry. I'm gonna take someone's favorite right off the get-go. Ooh. I,
3: <laughs> I am giving you the I through this podcast right now, uh, No, Pris- Go for oh it. My God. Uh, She's like, gonna get memorialized by me either way. Go for it, dude.
1: Lady Elena. Holy shit, Red, Queen of thorns, yeah, yes,
4: the best mm-hmm. way to die of mm-hmm. any character I've seen where like you you die on your own terms doing it your way and like sticking it to the man before like you <laughs> ultimately pass pass out peacefully, peacefully, may I add like, and the longest lived <laughs> like player in the Game of Thrones, so good for you. You earned your MVP award from me, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes, queen. Yes.
4: Um.
1: Okay. Well, with that, I'll I'll go second. Um, queen of Thorns was my first one too, and I hate you for taking it. I think she was probably I'll she was probably MVP for all of us, <laughs> to be honest. Um. So she can be the overall MVP, by the way. Um. But mine is Cersei uh oh darn you <laughs> I took it yes I know I had to go I was uh praising Lena Headey for her acting in this episode i has been solid from season one through season seven she's just always captivated the audience you love to hate her I mean she makes it's crazy because the first thing I ever saw her in was probably 300 and she played the queen and that queen was badass in 300 uh, Leonidas needed her approval for stuff and like it was just awesome so to see her as Cersei I was like ooh, this is gonna be good and then I was like no <laughs> but uh, this was the this is one of the few times where I really really felt happy for Cersei. she's done she blew up Marjorie I hate her you know mm. she always tortures Sansa she cried at Joffrey's death I mean I just I don't agree with her on a lot of things but on this for Marcella I I just loved that game, and it was just amazing. So Cersei is my MVP. Clay, who is your MVP?
3: Well, um, it was going to be Elena, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and you know what? I, I'm going to not break show roles, but I'm going to bend it a little bit and just say that I loved Elena. Um I want to memorialize that character. The actress was phenomenal. So funny, So smart uh, With a wit that just had a razor's edge to it Quick on her feet Awesome, badass bitch in general Love you, Elena Big ups, you know I wish I had a 40 ounce to pour out for you right now I don't um, But I hope to (laughs) see you up in the big fictional sky one day Um, I will choose for my um, MVP I think I'm going to go with uh, Euron um, the actor who plays Neuron has this crazy intensity about him. He is able to just bring uh, th- scenes that are dialogue lists such energy and such tension. And he has this crazy uh, just insaneness about him that is white hot. Um, and I love a good big bad. I love when we have a big bad who doesn't just, like, monologue about the shit that they want to do and take and, you know, yada, yada. Euron showed us very early on like who can walk the walk. So for <clears throat> uh, my week this week, my MVP is going to be uh, Euron.
1: Very, very nice choices uh, so far. Auda, who is your MVP?
2: Okay. So since you took Cersei... <laughs> <laughs> I'm really <laughs> upset about that No I'm, I'm gonna go with Daenerys Because She like this episode She just gave us this like Throwback of everything That she's gone through and She was You know strict In like the way that she talked To John. well like not strict Strict's not the word like for I guess yes for
0: assertive her.
2: Yeah Bend assertive it. too Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> she was <laughs> firm in, for. in the way that she um, talked to John, but she was not, you know, um, she, w- she was also listening because she could have been like, oh, you're not going to bend the knee. I'm going to just, you know, kill you. I'm going to burn you with my dragon <laughs> um, like she has done before. Um, but she didn't do that. You know, she listened and she, I feel like she's, she trusts. John, not to a level that she will go to the wall and be like, "Okay, here you have all my armies to, um, to uh, fight your ice zombies," but to a level that she's like, "Okay, like I'm gonna keep you here, and I'm gonna listen to what you're saying," and I I feel like she's she's grown as a ruler, and she she just she just made me feel so nice this this episode that you know she's gone all she's gone through all of that and she's here now and i just she's my mvp now (laughs) nice
1: all right i love all these mvps i feel like i wish we could give more or choose the same one over and over again but hey i don't make the rules or maybe i (laughs) do i am the lord commander after all all right guys it's time to rate the episode just um don't forget how to rate it it's a scale of one to ten silver stags um The point system is also allowed, and don't forget that if you feel like this episode was better than a ten, you may grant a gold dragon coin. So, that said, uh, I'll go first. Uh, I give this episode a gold dragon coin. Uh, Wow! Yeah, I think it was first of the season. Exactly, that's how good I felt. Like this episode left like, something heavy with me after it was over, like, usually, I'll be pumped up, or I'll be like, oh, that's where it's gonna end, but this one, I felt very um, emotional, I had a lot of things going on, like, I was happy for Olenna, but I was also sad, I was, you know, shocked by what happened with Daenerys, and, like, her military stuff, and uh, I liked John and her, ba- her and John bantering, like, there was so much good in this episode. I was not bored at all. Cersei's scene was the highlight, probably the dungeon scene. Like it was, it was good in an emotional way for a gold dragon coin. Uh, and I feel like that's how I grade some of my my uh, my episodes, where either it's very emotional good or it's action good, like uh, Battle of the Bastards type. But this one was very emotional, and it was heavy, and it was good, and it was an episode three. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So this is my episode rating. Don't feel intimidated. You know, say what you feel, and I'll try not to pick on you. I'm just
3: kidding. <laughs> um,
1: so, uh, Clay, what is your um, rate for this episode?
3: Um, I am going to give this particular episode 7.5, so 7.5 um, stags. Uh, What I really like about recording this podcast with you guys is that through discussion, we find that while we all share a love for this show, uh, we have kind of differing and splintering perspectives, which is really, really fun to talk about. Um, And to be honest, I had a little bit more fun talking to you guys about it than I did watching certain parts of the episodes. But again, and I say this caveat every week, and I'm likely to continue to say it, the worst episode of Game of Thrones, still better than the best episode of most television shows. So that being said, I'm going to give it a solid 7 point 5 silver stacks
1: alrighty then I like this I feel like we're gonna have like a lot of conflicting uh ratings. so
2: Aura <laughs> what
1: is your rating for this episode
2: you know what I'm gonna go with a 10 because there is I don't think there's anything that I disliked about this episode I think everything was very well constructed everything made sense um all the decisions that our characters made made sense all the things that they said made sense um, we got very, like, two especially um, satisfying scenes, like uh, Cersei's Revenge and the coming together of Daenerys and Jon. Um, I just loved it. I, I have nothing to say about it that's bad. I'll give it a solid ten.
3: Wow. High praise for this episode.
1: Damn. Yeah. All right, Priscilla. It rests on your shoulders. What do you rate this episode?
4: Oh, I'm sorry, Clay. I'm giving it a 10. Like, I <laughs> love this episode. cheese stands stuff. alone. <laughs> I love this episode so much. Like, I, I felt that, like, is it weird that I don't want to give it the gold? Because, like, it takes something, like, special, like, Battle of the Bastards, where, like, just it changes. Like, what did they do with cinematography? How do they do right. that with, like, horses? Like it takes something like that to give it gold for me but the fact that like we're getting storylines put together we're getting really boring storylines like the citadel get like bu- <laughs> it up and like being actually nice for a change we get freaking cersei having like some of the most powerful like cathartic scenes along with that our, our queen of thorns having a cathartic scene of her own with jamie like everything tied together brilliantly the only reason i don't want to give it a 10 again is because like it needs that one like special little bit of magic for me to like toss it over to golds but for 10 stags i think it did a very good job Nice.
1: all right i like all of these uh these ratings i think uh we have someone to pick on next episode. I'm just kidding.
5: Like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm
1: so kidding. I'm pretty sure uh, some of our listeners probably totally agree with you, and they agree with mm-hmm. Priscilla and Aura, and I gave it the gold. You know, I was I put out easily, apparently. So. <laughs>
3: oh, really quickly, Aura, one of my... And I, I just butchered your name. I apologize. You can beat me up after the show. I give you full permission. But one of my <laughs> friends really aligns herself with your perspectives, and she's like, oh, I love that girl. She should... Yada, yada, yada. So, you, you've got a fan. You're making it, girl.
2: Oh, awesome. Say hi to your friend.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she'll listen eventually. So, that was good one. Oh, kinda, well, hi, you know. friend.
2: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys.
1: And with that, our watch has ended. Join us next time for a brand new installment of The Throne Room. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us.
5: Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook. Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, and YouTube, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at PoppyChulaRadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash PoppyChulaRadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through iTunes. Just search for The Throne Room and subscribe.
1: Thanks another co-host, what do we say to the God of Death?
5: Not Not
3: today. today. We did that almost in unison, you guys. Crushed it. We're getting there. (laughs) Virtual high five. (laughs) Yeah, there
1: we go. Please wish listeners a good night, guys.
3: Night, everybody. Have a good night. R.I.P. Olena good night.
1: (laughs) R.I.P. Olena. Thanks for tuning in download new episodes of the throne room every thursday via itunes and the poppy chula radio archives for the night is dark and full of terrors good night <laughs>